0: Good morning, everyone, or good afternoon, or good evening, whichever the case may be on this rotating, very, very turbulent globe tonight. Welcome to another edition of The Other Side of Midnight. You know, you have no idea what it's like living all by yourself in a desert at 6,500 feet where things break and they don't get fixed for a while, Uh, not here. But in terms of infrastructure, that's going to be the the watchword for the new year. Oh, by the way, Happy New Year, everybody, since uh, because of infrastructure breakdown last weekend. I mean, I, I lost everything, Internet, phones. Literally, they could not find what was wrong with the phone for a week, a whole week. And I knew it was not really here because... The little digital time thing on the dial, because these are these are uh, you know portable uh, phones, uh, remotes, uh, would show the correct time. But there was no dial tone. No playing with buttons didn't do anything. Looking at circuits, making sure that anything not hung up was nothing worked. And then this morning, literally around noon, the phone rang. And I leaped out of bed because, of course, when you don't have a phone for a week and you don't hear anything, it's really quiet. And it was Ron. And he said, oh, it works. And I said, yes, it works. And I had no idea because my last contact with the phone company, they were not due out here uh, again trying to come out because of a snowstorm we had until Monday. And there's another snowstorm on the way. So something, and I don't like to use this term magically fixed the phone literally within a couple of hours of a week a full week when it was not working thank goodness the internet did come back and there's Skype and there's email and you know it's very hard to be out of touch <laughs> these days but uh, not so much here in the land of in, enchantment i'm beginning to take take that you know moniker rather more seriously cuz something interacted, and we have phones. Tonight is uh, January 6th. Now, we're going to get to one of the domestic reasons for why this date is now going to live in history, as Franklin Delano Roosevelt said many decades ago. Another date. But, in fact, it is the Russian Orthodox Christmas tonight. And in honor, we're going to play one Christmas song I'm going to do one Christmas song because the show tonight is dedicated to NASA's secret 12 days of their hyperdimensional Christmas and we have some presents under the tree to unwrap to reveal to share with you tonight so um apropos of well uh, let me let me reverse this okay Let me talk about uh, how you get to new news items and images, because that's a very important part of The Other Side of Midnight. What you want to do is go to TheOtherSideOfMidnight.com, and that will take you to our website. Our banner for tonight, the very top, says The President's Artifact, The 12 Hyperdimensional Days of NASA's Secret Christmas you know, they, they've been building up to this for quite a while because they've been leaking, dribbling out these amazing nuggets of real data, and yet they don't say anything. You know, it's it's totally on the QT. If you can figure it out, fine. They won't acknowledge. They won't respond. If you don't figure it out, fine, because they won't acknowledge or respond. Uh, but tonight we're going to unveil some really interesting things that i think are going to come to a head in 2024 this is now the magic 2024 georgia and i georgia lambert who is our resident metaphysician she spent decades working with uh, manley hall uh says that in you know occult literature the um uh 2024 2025 window is when all kinds of things are supposed to happen. I had a guest on from India uh, many, many uh, days ago, weeks ago, actually it was probably a couple of years. And he said that the um, corrected uh, Vedic calendar changes you know, to the next cycle from the um, current one that we're in, uh, in 2024, 2025. So independent analysis and independent sacred texts are kind of focusing on the next couple of years as a major turning point in the calendar, in human history, and I think that all heck is going to break loose, not the least of which is domestically, which takes us, of course, to our first item. Now, what you want to do is you want to go to that banner, remember the one that says the President's Artifacts for saturday january 6th of 2024 i got to keep remembering now to say it and to write it you know you know the old problem that will take you to my items click on richard under that banner i'm sorry uh, click on the banner itself first start with that that will take you to the guest page under the same banner on the top of the guest page you will see uh, where it says fast links to items click on my name that will take you down further in the page where we have video links, news items, images, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, Take a look at my first item. This is a very interesting analysis in Reason Magazine. Let me give you a little perspective. Reason Magazine is probably the farthest right Republican journal that you'll find in American um, political, Thought and discussion many, many years ago, when I was just getting into the uh, Mars investigation, I did a briefing for Reason magazine, and i 'm kind of kicking myself now because uh their approach to what we wanted to do and our approach was very different. They were very much into the capitalist you know mainstream perspective of you know well let's make some money at this and I didn't want to make money at this. And so Reason Magazine and I parted company. However, uh, their analysis of the January 6th attack as an insurrection, which, of course, leads into all the other astonishing, unbelievable, unprecedented history that's being compressed into the next 12 months, is going to knock your socks off because because of the January 6th attack and the uh, documentation of the ex-president's involvement with that insurrection, there is a major legal battle now that reached uh, yesterday to the Supreme Court where the court is going to weigh in on is Donald Trump uh, excommunicated, main, made non-eligible to run For office again because of the third section of the 14th amendment and the reason magazine analysis which again is not lefty it's not woke it's not all that nonsense stuff it's a very conservative analysis based on an original reading of the Constitution of the United States I mean you can't get more straight arrow Uh, than that and uh, their conclusions and their evidentiary steps one two three whatever it's very important that we look at all sides of this as we enter the most extraordinary turbulent year I believe without doubt in the history of the United States of America notwithstanding the fact that it's only second to the Civil War itself now tomorrow night I have Alfred Weber on And Alfred Weber has written several books. Uh, We're going to enter into his, you know, um, uh, literary works and scholarship through one doorway, but there are many other doors in that palace he's created in terms of scholarship that we're going to look at. And one of those is a prognostication that the United States, if it's pushed at the right time in the right direction, And I'm using that in air quotes, could, in fact, fragment into separate regions, continental United States, you know, itself. And um, I'm not sure whether this is a, you know, lead pipe cinch in Alfred's analysis or it's a probability or it's something that we can avert or it's something that anyway, it's going to be part of our discussion. I have not heard serious discussion of fragmentation of the United States for probably 20 20 some years since the 80s longer um so it's going to be interesting to see how Weber is analyzing current history and feeding into his model that fragmentation is one potential result did anybody of our generation imagine that we'd be talking very seriously about the United States fragmenting 10 times worse than the Civil War over over what? What is our fundamental difference? What's the thing that are dividing us as opposed to the things that are bringing us together? Well, tonight we're going to talk about NASA's secret Christmas presents because if this panoply, extraordinary evidence that the human race is part of a much larger human family a much larger galactic family a much larger potentially hyperdimensional family from which we in our analysis appear to have been cut off at some point in the past history of this very complicated solar system then that alone that, that larger frame It is my wish and my hope and my uh, um, sincerest desire that that will provide us the underlying unifying glue to realize that no matter what our differences are they are minuscule compared to the radical extraordinary unknown which we are now in the first few days of this new year directly confronting and what do i mean by that well Next week, subcommittee of the House of Representatives under Republican leadership led by, you know, congressmen like uh, Tim Burchett, (coughs) excuse me, and Representative Luna and many, many others are going to have a classified briefing from the inspector general of the U.S. Department of Defense. Revealing, discussing, laying out evidence for the reality of UAP, i.e. UFOs, i.e. ETs. Did you ever imagine in mainstream American life that in the same year that you have a U.S. president up on 91 criminal indictments, I mean, what? That you would have the U.S. government briefing Congress in closed session about a phenomenon, a subject, that's supposed to not exist. It's supposed to be fiction, fantasy, Looney Tunes, crazy, you know, the stuff that doesn't even belong on the backs of cereal boxes. And yet, these things, and a lot more, I mean, what's NASA up to, are all hitting the fan at the same time. Remember that movie that won the Academy Award, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Well, that's the reality that the ancient sages, occult sources of wisdom, the Vedas, uh, astrologers, all the foo-foo stuff have all said is going to come to the fore in the next year or two as we change from the Kali Yuga back up the scale to the next higher vibrational leopard, uh, uh, you know, uh, frequency of the Vedic calendar. Now my model for what's driving all this, of course, is the physics. The fact that the processional cycle has real physical effects on planets the solar system, actions of the sun, actions of other stars. Don't let me get started on Betelgeuse, okay? Uh, and of course, on consciousness, human and otherwise. So this is kind of like a prelude to tomorrow night where we're going to be gripping, coming to grips directly with the most extraordinary problem of our time now in the next few months, which is this insane, war between Jews and other people in the Middle East, the Palestinians, you know, the Islamic religion, the uh, mullahs of Iran, the hostages in more ways than one, the Palestinian people themselves, the extraordinarily bent, warped, shattered history of that region of the planet and why one people The Jews apparently have been the target for extraordinary hate and violence, not just for decades, not just for hundreds of years, but from as far back in time, millennia, as we can trace a written record. Why? Well, tomorrow night, Alfred and I are going to discuss an absolutely bizarre, off the wall, out of the box, completely bonkers Idea, And I'm going to bring to the table evidence. Alfred's going to bring to the table evidence. Again, the kind of evidence that only something as big as discovering the real history of humanity against other people, other races, other civilizations and an extraordinary amount of ancient hidden history, I believe, can surmount so think of tonight and tomorrow night as kind of part one and part two now go to my second item Um, this is a picture a close-up of uh, Rod Roddenberry who is my departed friend Gene Roddenberry's only son Rod Roddenberry when he was growing up hated Star Trek because for obvious reasons as a kid as a teenager as a rebellious teenager Star Trek kept his dad away from home and hearth and fire and family life and all that to a degree that Rod really, 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 really wow. resented. Well, he's come full circle or half a circle, 180 degrees. Remember that movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger where the mobster says, it's not 360, you dim. Anyway, so um, Rod's article, which is not by him, but uh, about him. um concerns a lunar launch, the Peregrine mission, the unmanned robotic mission, which is going to leave for the moon on Monday and arrive at the moon for a landing on February 23rd of 2024, which is one day before David Copperfield, you know, the magician whose dad was in the military. The U.S. Army Air Corps at Roswell, just by chance, of course, is going to make the moon disappear. Well, if you read item number two um, on this mission, put there by a very interesting company called Celestis, will be the ashes of all of the major stars of the original Star Trek series who have departed and that in itself is historic now the landing site for the peregrine mission fortunately for the future of the mission itself given the fact that i am absolutely confident that uh, no one's taken into account of the ancient glass dome that we've discovered covering the moon remember it's not equally dangerous everywhere there are much thinner sections and much denser areas the poles The glass is still there and relatively, uh, you know, dense, so it's dangerous. The far side is really dangerous, which, of course, is why the Chinese used a very different technique to land a mission on the far side of the moon as opposed to missions which have been landed on the front, uh, the the Earth side, the, the near side of the moon facing the Earth. Because, of course, the moon rotates around the Earth in the same period that it takes to rotate on its axis, so we only see essentially one side. When they land, which I presume they're going to do quite successfully given the glass is pretty thin, um, they are going to begin a mission which will involve a private company successfully landing for the first time, if it works, on the Earth's only large natural satellite. And they will be taking as part of their Uh, payloads, these little capsules of ashes from the stars, the superstars of a television show spearheaded by Gene, whose journey has brought the Americans, humanitarians, the human race, as Brookings proposed that something like this do, from the literal dark ages into the 21st century of human consciousness that we are likely not alone. If there's any one simple television show, which I think has had more impact on humanity, it probably is Star Trek. So it's very fitting, and Rod says some very nice things in that article about it was fitting. What he did not anticipate and what the company which is doing the mission in uh, in concert with NASA did not anticipate. What NASA did not anticipate is that the head of the Navajo Nation has written a formal legal letter to the United States Space Agency, to NASA, basically objecting Peregrine mission because of the ashes of the Star Trek crew on board. He is claiming and uh, I didn't find a great link in time for the show, but you can find it by simply Googling Navajo Nation objects to a latest NASA moon mission. He is objecting to NASA's mission contaminating the moon with an extraordinary intrusion of ancient remains of earthlings who, according to the Navajo, are contaminating the pristine sacred lunar sphere of Navajo tradition. Well, I have news for the Navajo. There's an awful lot of ancient bodies already on the moon from those who lived there hundreds of thousands and millions of years ago. In fact, this is so interesting that I'm going to kind of make it a mission. That in the coming days and weeks, I'm going to reach out to the head of the Navajo Nation and show him and the council and the uh, tribe that, in fact, the moon has been incredibly inhabited and they're already incredibly sacred remains. And it is only appropriate and fitting that our Star Trek uh, generation join them because it's a bridge between an extraordinarily important ancient past and an extraordinarily important ancient future where in Gene's vision, instead of separate warring tribes, which we are tonight, in every way possible, this act, this understanding of the real role of the moon in human history and the role of our ancestors in terms of the moon and human history not just on earth but all across the solar system can lead us all into a better and newer age where we are finally celebrating the fact that regardless of what's out there we are all so closely related down here so without further ado let me introduce uh, other members of our uh, team tonight we have uh, members of the Enterprise Mission uh, Analysis and Imaging and Investigation team. Andrew Curry is with us. Andrew, as you well know, is a professional artist. He does artwork for commercials, for films. Um, he does artwork for special individuals like Steve Bassett. Uh, remind me, Andrew, I've got to connect you and Steve because Steve did a very interesting mission for us uh, a couple weeks ago and uh, we need to talk about uh, uh, the, the, the next step. Uh, we've got Robert Morningstar with us, who is a uh, builds himself as a civilian intelligence analyst, lives in New York, has a um, very background. What you can do is go to the other side of uh, midnight and click on you know fast links to bios, which is the line right under fast links to items, and you'll see uh, Robert there and Andrew. Ron Gerbrand is uh, joining us. He's our resident generalist. Um, he is almost at home, so we can join us where he has a good signal, and so we'll bring him on soon. And in the second hour, uh, Rogero Calo, who is our um, medical expert and podiatrist and esteemed artist from a very different school of art, he's going to be joining us in the second hour. So let me open the lines here and welcome who is with us at the moment. I believe, Andrew, you're with us?
1: Yes, yes.
0: Robert, hello, are hello. you there?
1: Yes, I am.
0: Excellent. Do we have Ron yet?
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Oh, there you are. Okay. Yeah. I've Uh, been listening. Super. Okay. So, um, let me, how should I begin? Well, tonight is, of course, the, uh, 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 you know, the the January 6th is the Christmas of the Russian Orthodox Church, which gives me a very interesting backdrop to play my favorite Christmas song, which, of course, is the... uh, You know, do you see what I see referencing the Christmas star? Because on this day, according to the Orthodox Church, the wise men, three of them, journeying from the east, finally arrived at Bethlehem and worshipped the Christ child in the manger to which that song, that Christmas song by Crosby has been dedicated. And the mystery of what was the star? What did they follow? What led them? Across thousands of miles from you know the far east to, uh, to 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 Bethlehem. On our last show, which was on Christmas Eve, um, something very interesting happened. We traced the connections between the physics and the ancient Roman festival of Saturnalia, and we had Maria Maria Wheatley, uh, who was a very interesting archaeologist and anthropologist from England who has done extraordinary work on the ancient stone circles, connecting dots in terms of the uh, you know, celebration long before the Romans came to Britain of this ancient end of the uh, year celebration, which I kind of came to the conclusion that they're all not separate, they're all related. In other words, beneath our superficial differences, there is this commonality which is the physics. Well, after we'd finished the show, um, I got an email from one of our uh, very faithful listeners, uh, Stephen, from Massachusetts, and he had done a little calculation where he looked up the latitude, and you can knew, you know, now to like eight, nine significant figures, latitude and longitudes, because of the satellite mapping of, of the entire planet. And he found that the latitude of Stonehenge and the latitude of Bethlehem, when you when you, you know, subtract one from the other, they are separated by 19.47 degrees. And that, of course, is the key hyperdimensional enclosed tetrahedral angle of the physics in rotating planets in rotating stars um, in all rotating systems and the idea that that could be to four significant figures um, accidental is of course just just mind-boggling so that became really an amazing icing on the cake and leads the way tonight to our celebration of the Russian Orthodox Christmas which of course culminates with the wise men, the magi, the, the wisdom keepers of the Far East, the magicians, remember Arthur, Arthur's Clark, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Magic, magi, holders of ancient wisdom, ultimately tracing itself back to, as we discussed, you know, a few days ago, this hyperdimensional reality that we are all experiencing and most most of humanity has no idea what's marking time and marking events and marking the calendar and marking these cycles so with that as as a prologue let me go to my first item take a look at um, uh, item number three there is currently a new nasa mission unmanned robotic mission which is called Lucy, after the famous uh, uh, Beatles song, Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, which apparently when archeologists in Africa found one of the oldest pre-hominid skeletons um, somewhere in the deserts of, of, I believe it was Ethiopia, um, the Beatles songs was a rage and they were playing Lucy in the sky with diamonds in the tent. And so Johnson, the archeologist who, uh, or anthropologist who found this skeleton, decided to name the skeleton Lucy as a progenitor, a pre-hominid progenitor of humanity. Well, NASA in layers of meaning that go beyond the simple origins of the uh, uh, hominid, -hominid, pre-hominid, call this new mission, to the outer solar system, Lucy, because they are imbuing it with the ability from its instrumentation and its flight profile and its uh, flight plan to uncover the origins of the solar system and perhaps, perchance, life within it. Now, I think that they know a lot more and they know that the destination of Lucy, which is the so-called Trojan asteroids which are a group of asteroids you know small uh, rock-like objects that conventional astronomy says orbit the Sun as parts of planets that never formed because of the Jovian gravitational disruption back in the four and a half billion year old foundations of the solar system anyway um be that as it may let me continue this on the other side Because nobody warned me that we're literally at the bottom of the hour. So without further ado, let us kind of dedicate tonight the wise men so that they, in fact, can bless our journey as we venture back in time to the origins of human beings, the origins of uh, people who, um, shall we say, came before we shall return.
2: I hear what I hear. Said the
0: night wind to the little
3: land Do you see what I see? Do
2: you see what I see?
3: Way up in the sky, little land
2: Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see? A star, a star, dancing in the night. Do you hear what I hear? Do
4: you hear, hear what, what I hear a
2: song, a song, I above the tree, with a voice as big as the sea, with a voice as big as the sea.
5: The other side of Midnight.com Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hudland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes.
2: Do you know what I know know? Know know. in your palace, warm mighty King? Do you know know what I know? A child, a child shivers in the cold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Let us bring him silver and gold. Said the king to the people everywhere listen to what i say pray for peace people everywhere listen to what i say the child He will pray goodness and love. Goodness and, love.
0: and welcome back, everyone, on this late Christmas 12-day celebration of the night that the wise men reached Jerusalem. Actually, Bethlehem, which is just outside. So um, let me bring my panel back in. I I, I want you guys, as we we move through this step by step, I want you to kind of chime in and, and give me your thoughts. Items three and four are this little asteroid, which is just a few miles in diameter, that by happenstance happens to be on the way, on the trajectory where the Lucy unmanned mission is headed toward the outer reaches of the solar system, the orbit of Jupiter, 60 degrees ahead, 60 degrees behind, will not get there for another several years. But it passes a little asteroid on the way, and they photographed, well, not too well, and then returned those images to Earth. And obviously, if you take a look, uh, that's not an asteroid. That's not a rock. That's an ancient, eroded spacecraft. In fact, it's two. The first image, the one up top, number three, that was taken as they were approaching. Number four is taken as they flew by from a greater distance. And what appears to be one object kind of attached to the bottom of the uh, larger um, object turned out to be two in tandem orbiting the larger object. Um, And they're all incredibly geometric. In fact, if you zoom in, just click on the image, it gets much bigger. Zoom in on the enlargements of the two little moonlets. Those are not like moons I have ever, ever seen because you can see girders and spars and reinforcements and framing and all kinds of incredibly non-rock-like geometric stuff, which in no way resembles an asteroid. Who wants to go first?
6: Well, that's not much of a launch point. <laughs> uh, well, I think there. are all... I, personally, I think that all of the um, targets in the terms of asteroids that they go after to take a closer look at are uh, artificial.
0: Oh, now that's really interesting. Because you and I have never really talked about this and I came years ago to the same conclusion. Out of the, uh, out of the tens and hundreds of thousands of tabulated asteroids. How come every time we get a mission to an asteroid and we get photographs, we find evidence that these are not just pieces of rock. They're in fact ancient, ancient, incredibly eroded spaceships or space habitats or something which means Ron, which means what? Yes. What what does this imply? Uh,
6: well this implies that they more than implies that they have some idea of what they're looking for in the first place.
0: Yes, they have a list. So the next question is, how could they have a list? Where would such a list have come from? Uh, I'd give it. uh,
6: Okay. I'll be kind on that. I think astronomers notice any anomalous behavior in anything that they're looking at, especially something nearby that they might be able to name after themselves or their project or something. And uh, as a, as a result of that, uh that gives them the evidence they need. I don't think it's
0: that hard oh, to Oh no 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 difference. no 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 wrong, 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 wrong. In okay. in classical telescopes, and by classical I mean everything up to and including Hubble. Mm-hmm. All most of these objects except for Ceres and Pallas and Vesta, mm-hmm. the three largest asteroids. Ceres is about the yes. size of Connecticut, six hundred miles. They're just points of light in the telescope. They're twinks. And their motions are not anomalous because they're obviously interacting in the solar system where there's all kinds of other nudging gravitational influences from Jupiter and inner planets and all, all that. So there's no way you can tell from a twink. <clears throat> that's a combination of twinkling point of light. What it's made of, what its history is, what it, why it's unique, whatever. So, under normal circumstances, with the exception of some very confusing spectra, which really are not definitive, you know, all <clears> these <throat> things basically have looked alike. There are classes, you know, there's rocky ones, there's more metallic ones, there's ones that have a little hint of maybe ice. But other than these gross material, um, you know, compositions, there's been nothing to differentiate one twink from another twink. Except every one of the objects we have visited, turns out when you look at uh, certainly our analysis, they're ancient eroded spacecraft. That brings me to number five. This is a compilation I did oh, over several you know months, a few months ago, of the relatively recent uh, crop of asteroids that we have either flown past, when I say we the European Space Agency and or NASA, the Japanese or NASA and NASA. And Stein's was the one visited in a flyby by the Europeans on their way to, I believe, uh, a comet, 67P, uh, the, the, uh, the Dawn spacecraft. And um, uh, Ryugu was one that was visited by the Japanese a few years ago and they actually uh, sampled it And that material has has come home. And then Bennu is a smaller version uh, that was sampled by the NASA mission, OSIRIS-REx. And a few months ago, its stockpile of samples from Bennu were delivered in a canister in the desert of Utah, whisked away to Houston. And for some reason, after months, we're now into January, right? It landed in, in September, uh, they haven't been able to get into the canister, and we'll get into the details of that later. The thing that I want, so they say. Well, that's you yeah, know, let's, let's assume that's what you know. It's a cover story, and we'll get into okay. why momentarily. When you look at the shape of these objects, does, does anybody notice they're all very, very similar, if not identical? They're all very eroded. <clears throat> they're all ancient octahedrons. And the most octahedral, meaning the one with the flat sides and the square corners, is Bennu. Ryugu is much more eroded, meaning in this model, it's probably much more ancient. But there appears to be, like you have standard Chevys, you have standard ancient spacecraft. They're just different sizes, but their geometry apparently prefers the octahedral shape. And I have a very non-subtle feeling that that's related to their space drives, what actually moves them, which is not rockets when they were new, but some kind of field propulsion system, which literally hooks into hyperspace and moves them effortlessly around the sun or beyond the sun or whatever. And after they were parked and they degraded because of erosion, That fundamental classic geometric, one of the platonic solid shapes is all that remains of an echo that these are not natural rocks. And yet unerringly, unerringly, NASA and the Europeans and the Japanese have all picked ancient spacecraft to fly by, quote, randomly. What's wrong with this picture?
6: Well, I don't think anything's wrong with it, but it doesn't uh you know I don't think people I don't think any of us don't just say people. that sounds meaning. Uh, Our um, dogs might care too uh, they um they don't re- they represent uh, something left over from the ancient wars in the way that I look at a model here, and they just left them to drift. And I have not come up with a better... Well, wait, 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 wait,
0: wait, wait, Let me say that I agree with you in terms of the main belt asteroids and the interlopers, the so-called Apollo uh, and other asteroids that sail across the orbits of the Earth. I don't think the Jovian uh, asteroids, the so-called 60-degree uh, ahead and 60-degree behind uh, asteroids that we're going to visit. I don't think they were randomly just left. I think they were parked because if you want something to be where you can find, remember that great line from, I think it was star Trek four when they land in, um, in, in the park in San Francisco and Kirk says, you know, when they leave the ship, remember where we parked. If you want to leave an incredible treasure trove of information, libraries, anyone technology, history, genesis, biology, longevity, immortality, interdimensional capability. If you want to leave it where your dim, distant descendants are going to be able to go and find it, you want to park it in a solar system filled with whizzing objects at a place where the gravity field will basically keep it in the Trojan point, 60 degrees ahead and 60 degrees behind And finally, now that NASA has mature technology to be able to send an unmanned spacecraft to go to those distances, they've chosen a spacecraft which, A, already just kind of by chance flew by another interesting object, is going to get to the Trojans, is going to mingle with these objects, and it's named solemnly and symbolically for Lucy, a progenitor in a mainstream model for all of humanity. Do you see a pattern well, here? I,
6: yeah, I don't that doesn't uh that doesn't invalidate any uh anything else. Of course you're gonna park stuff if you can. If you can. If it's just a relic the you know, it may not be scooped up. I mean if there was a huge war that destroyed Pretty much a civilization, then maybe there weren't a lot of people left that felt like going out and picking up the pieces because they weren't going to be able to go back there anyway. But yeah, no, that's that's all perfectly uh coherent, you know. If you put it all together, the thing is the way they look, and that gets into a, that gets into a whole other category of discussion. But the underneath those, they're ships or inside all that rubble, if you will, and I think they did that almost as camouflage. Uh, Maybe exactly as camouflage, but in terms of clues, you said that, you know, they're, maybe they need a map or they had a map. Well, Ah. maybe,
0: but. Well, wait, 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 wait. this is really important because, you know, the, the, the the mainstream pretends we're the first. There's never Mm -hmm. been another advanced civilization capable of space flight, capable of anti-gravity, capable of any extraordinary technological or hyperdimensional or consciousness functions, we're the first. If we're not the first, and part of each civilization leaves archives for its successors, I look at the Earth history, you know, like Sumer, uh, etc., then the idea that if you have a huge solar system-wide, extraordinary, godlike technology and consciousness and knowledge base which is destroyed in some cataclysmic war and you want your you know descendants to somehow put it back together, figure out what happened so it doesn't happen again. You know, the lessons of history, that kind of thing. You would make mm-hmm. some effort to park something in space where things don't deteriorate except on a very, very long time scale of millions of years. So your descendants could have a means of picking up the pieces and you would leave, I would hope on earth where the last refugees would have to go. Cause the only place in the solar system where you can live without technology is here at the moment. Um, and, and what, what this implies strongly is that NASA somehow has access or found access or was bequeathed access, Or was formed because of its access to that ancient archive of maps and celestial log books and and ephemerids, so they could, when Mm -hmm. the time was right, when they had the right technology, they could go and find their past, all of our past. And that's exactly what I think is going on tonight. And they've been caught in a very interesting double bind. Because one of these objects they visited and actually brought back material from, and it's sitting in a vault in Houston tonight that they claim they can't open, literally is filled with artifacts, and we can prove that toward the end of the show, and there will be another part of the story. So I think they had inside information of the best sort, which is they are heirs to an ancient treasure. Of historical data. See, I agree
6: with all of that except ah. the uh, motivational angle. That's a, I. I think that uh, it's a little presumptuous of us to assume that somebody wanted to leave us a map or an archive. I really? Mean, I can Why? Think Why? Of a, Why? Well, I can think of a number of scenario scenarios where such a uh, such an indicator, such a um, map, as it were uh might have turned up. Uh it could have turned up from any um craft that happened to crash and get recovered or discovered. Even a little one, because in their uh, what do they call them on Star Trek and elsewhere the star charts, in their star charts, in their logbooks, as you mentioned, uh this kind of stuff would be noted and somebody would go, you know? There, are rumors, there have been rumors about that because NASA studies
0: this stuff. Yeah, but wait, 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 wait. My uh, model is, and I want everybody else to join in, so let's make this our last point until we get to the next interesting milestone. NASA was mm-hmm. formed to do this. It's not an accident that Eisenhower created a, quote, civilian agency, and it's been hiding everything really cool for the last 50 years. Their hidden right. mission, quoting Keith Laney. Their secret hidden mission was to go and retrieve this history of real humanity. And since on Earth, it's, it's either been, you know, pillaged or destroyed many times over, given the turbulent human history of Earth, wars and all that, or the erosive history of Earth, the weather, geology, and all that. The only really immortal place you can find something that's millions of years old in, in pretty good condition is going to be somewhere in space. So I think NASA was created as the archive secret agency of the US government to go and find our real history and then use it for themselves, not necessarily for the human species as a whole. So you're
6: comparing NASA to Anna Erby?
0: Basically. Well, because remember, that was the secret society in Germany. I know you know this, and 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 the Nazis came over and infiltrated NASA. Von Braun et al, and their philosophy Mm. became the NASA philosophy, except they didn't, uh, you know, publicly crucify Jews. But in terms of secret knowledge and you know an inside story and an outside story, uh, there's not much difference. You know, Hitler sent the Ananurvy to the Tibetan plateau to steal all the sacred artifacts from the Tibetan monks. Well, we Mm -hmm. now know tonight there's an ancient Stonehenge on the moon where NASA landed two sets of missions, an unmanned mission, Surveyor 3, and a manned mission, Apollo 12, twice within walking distance, you know, literally tens of feet of this ancient archive that's sitting in one of the photographs, looking like an ancient sarcophagus. And there isn't one record in the NASA archive about Apollo that says that the two astronauts, Pete Conrad and Alan Bean, went anywhere near what's obviously an artificial object sitting on the moon or any astronaut worthy of his salt would have gone, holy gallopers, Batman, what the heck is that doing here?
6: You know, here's something. This is anomalous to this, but it fits as well, what you just said. That does seem to be the evidence. And yet, uh, I went through a couple weeks ago the archive, very poorly attended, uh, that Ken Johnson uh, set up on the internet. Uh, you've got one of the pictures from it there, but I had to clean it up because they are all faded and everything. But he took all these pictures from the uh, uh, that were leftovers from the Apollo program, and he was one of the people that was supposed to get rid of all the junk. And instead, he took some. You know, he took a whole, took a box or two of them to preserve them because they were well, going to NASA digitize back, everything. Well, back
0: in the day, NASA had made many, many duplicates of the Apollo imagery, and Ken mm-hmm. was curator for the Lunar Receiving Laboratory science, scientists of that archive. And his superior told him one day, get rid of all those extra copies and just, you know, keep one. So instead of taking them to the dumpster, he took one set to his alma mater, University in Oklahoma, and he kept one set, partial set for himself. And then decades later, when we finally met, he loaned me some of the images. And that's how I figured out that... Mitchell was unveiling the television camera under this incredibly shattered glass dome stretching overhead, which you can clearly, crystal clear, see in his preserved copies, which have been nowhere near NASA in over 30 years. And you can barely discern on the umpteen generations of analog copies that NASA has made of those images since and given out to the public. So he didn't purloin. He was officially told to destroy and all he did was put his destruction on a much longer time frame.
6: Uh, that's. I'm glad he wasn't even the only one. But the point is, I was looking on the web, of course, for uh, just a couple weeks ago for such things. I found his archive. Like I said, it's a bit stale, but it's. You know, the pictures are old anyway. Uh, and there is a picture there that you just get a glimpse of. It's not one of the uh, ones that's indexed, and it shows as couple an astronaut, I think there's just one in view. And they're clearly standing next to some standing stones, period. And you just get a. it's one of the ones that goes by in a little cascade. And one part of them I'm going, I'll be damned. So maybe they did go over and look at it. And the remember they had to stomp pretty hard to get those tracks uh that are so famous to show in the dust. And maybe they just carefully sort of sidled over somebody did because there's a there's definitely a picture of an astronaut standing next to standing stones and i don't think that any fake recreation or uh uh trial run or anything like that would have included a scene like that nasa would never do that so it's a, it's you know it's as real as all the other pictures that ken johnson left us um
0: Well, again, I have documented proof because I was there in the house of the doctor that was part of their quarantine. Remember, the astronauts up until the very end missions all were quarantined for 21 days. And we all Uh wondered, you know, well, that was supposed to be biological prevention. And we're basically uh, less than a minute from the bottom of the hour here, uh, top of the hour. Everybody wondered why given the sterility of the moon surface, why would you quarantine astronauts on the incredibly small chance they might bring back a microbe? Well, there were other things that were done in those 21 days of isolation, not the least of which was brainwashing, which opened up a whole new can of worms, which is why none of them could remember what it felt like. And Pete Conrad, the head of the Apollo 12 mission complained for years that he couldn't remember, like Ed Mitchell, what it felt like to walk on the moon. They could remember their flight plan, their itinerary, what they did, etc. But they, but they literally could not, you know, remember what, in fact, uh, uh, you know, it felt like to be where no one had gone before. Well, maybe it's because something had altered their minds. Okay, we're at the um, uh, top of the hour. I've got to get my clock straight here. So let us continue this conversation on the other side uh, when we return. You're tuned to The Other Side at Midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return.
3: OtherSideOfMidnight.com.
0: Welcome back, everyone, on this Saturday night, January 6th, when the wise men finished their trek from the Far East to Bethlehem, the night of the star. Very appropriate, I always have thought. We're talking tonight about the hidden history of the human species. Has NASA been, from the get-go, from the beginning, a mission-agency-driven mission agency driven by a hidden mission, the mission to literally ferret out in the cold and stark preservation of the solar system, the lost tens of thousands, if not millions of years of real human history. Have they identified through unmanned missions, reconnaissance missions, places where technology as it evolves will allow them with human missions, to go basically raid libraries, archives, working technology. God knows what could be preserved out there, just waiting to be retrieved, if they have a treasure map. I mean, what do humans do about things that are valuable, going all the way back to the prehistory of, uh, you know, of Oak Island? The rumor there is, of course, that uh, the, the uh, Masons, the uh, founders of the secret society, which became the Masons, the uh, Templars, that they literally journeyed to the New World in wooden ships with sails to bury something that they found in an archive where they had a map in the Middle East during the Crusades. Okay, let me widen the conversation. Let me bring in Robert. Mr. Morningstar, your thoughts on this?
7: Well, my first thoughts on your items, I will skip number one. Um, Number three, it looks to me like a shell. It also looks to me like the piece on the bottom. Wait, wait, wait. wait, wait. It looks like a what? A shell. Shell. Turtle shell. Uh,
0: We're talking number three. Number three. Okay, okay.
7: And the piece that's on the bottom looks to me like it broke off, possibly off the northwest edge of this thing. The next thing is in picture number four, we're seeing the reverse. Yeah, on it's, the, it's
0: uh, almost 180 degree
7: reversal, yeah. Yeah, so if we think of it as coins, number three is the obverse side of the coin mm-hmm. and four, the, the reverse side of the coin. And I agree that uh, there's a tremendous amount of structure and geometry.
2: <laughs> in there.
0: Now, what that says to me is these are shells, literally like hulls, you know, like mm-hmm. ships have hulls and spaceships mm-hmm. have hulls to keep the air in and vacuum out. And yeah, if, I see
7: passageways. Yeah,
0: and, 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 and if, they're, if, if they're relatively, if the, if the hull is thin, mm-hmm. micrometeorite abrasion can wear it away, but the beams... Mm-hmm and the structure elements are much thicker and denser and will survive longer, so it will erode from the out in, and you'll be left with the framework, the spine, the skeleton Mm -hmm. of the Mm -hmm. previous craft or crafts, plural, that these Mm -hmm. things used to be.
7: Yeah. And uh, regarding, I recall we did the shows on Bennu, and when we did uh, close-ups, I did enhancements of Bennu, Tim Saunders, who's a marine engineer, shipbuilder, he and I found uh, keel and ribs that taper toward the end, toward, uh, let's call it the the western end or the left side of the photograph in Bennu. And we found what really looked like an arc, uh, this internal structure of an arc. Uh, the, The equator would be the keel. But as you get to the edges of this football-shaped asteroid, we saw spars, ribs, and the curvature that went along uh, similar to the front of a classical clipper ship, sailing ship, wooden ship. So I think there's definitely a lot of uh, artificiality to these things. Secondly, as to where the map came from, I think that these things were mapped out Oh, 50 years ago with uh, Pioneer and Voyager. And we have the Deep Space Network, which few people know about. But we're watching the solar system from 1.5 billion miles away at every angle. And the military uh, monitors that. So I think that uh, the map was provided by our previous explorations. And these things may be giving off radio signals as well. Wait, wait,
0: wait, 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 wait. Given that this is an open program and all the tracking data is freely available, not just domestically, not just for U.S., but for the entire world, we know the trajectories of all of these early primitive spacecraft, the Voyagers, the Pioneers, whatever. Mm -hmm. None of them went near any of this stuff. This is modern. This is new. How how do we know something that was seen for the first time in the last 10, 20 years?
7: Well, Voyager... And Pioneer were only the uh, Mr. Science part. The uh, U.S. military, the Air Force, and you know, the services have been sending out probes. And I just mentioned to you that we have a deep state space network, which is positioned at 1.5 billion miles away. And I found that out from Paul Murad, who was a friend of mine and uh, I remember him. He sadly passed away a couple of years okay, ago. Okay, so on- so
0: just because we have, we have a lot of things to talk about, your now, model is that from the early known years of NASA, these were being secretly scoped out. And my model that, is that their knowledge base is infinitely older and we've only now developed the white mainstream technology, not the deep state secret real space program with anti-gravity, but there could be a confluence between the two. In other words, if you posit that there is a secret space program that does not use rockets that same list could have been used to give to nasa to give them public targets that would satisfy the congress which of course knows none of us in lieu of modern data because i think the data is incredibly ancient and in fact i think the whole dart mission where nasa sent a spacecraft a few months ago to
7: smash into
0: an asteroid Dimos, Yeah, uh, Dimos and uh, Diamorphos, uh, which, by the way, after the smashing, the orbit previous was something like uh, almost 12 hours. Uh, it was shortened by 33 Masonic tetrahedral minutes. <laughs>
7: Isn't yeah, that well, I think these things were blown up. I mean, this is, looks to me that the one we're talking about, uh, Lucy, looks to me like Lucy a shell. Lucy is
0: a spacecraft. You mean Dinganish? Dinkiness, yes. Yeah. Um, what a name! It, yeah, yeah, no, they're, they're definitely that... shells. And now here's the other thing: What are the odds on the way to the Jovian Trojan asteroids that you're going to randomly fly by a little object? Actually, three, two of which are so obviously denuded spacecraft with ribs and spars and beams, just randomly out of out of. Come on.
7: Well, it can't be random. No, it's no. all a plan, well, but they just, well, just don't admit well it. It's all plan. Uh, I think that uh, the w- – let's remember, NASA is a military organization, despite the uh, gee whiz, Mr. Science, and all the
0: – Yeah, and who uh, was the first researcher to, to, to discover that and publish it?
7: Yeah, well, they're, it's military, so I believe that – You didn't answer stars- the question. Repeat it, please.
0: Who was the first person to discover this and publish it? You tell me. Me! Don't you read what I write? I've been saying for decades work. that, remember, I found the original NASA Brookings report. I found the charter. In the charter specifically says that everything NASA puts out has to be go through the National Security Council and the defense mm-hmm. establishment authorized by the in other words it's an arm of the pentagon it's not a civilian space agency right okay i think
6: they printed more than one copy of the bookings report
0: oh they did they did but i found it in little rock it's not it's not easy to find i found one hardcover copy in little rock (laughs) through a guy named clinton no relation anyway let me let me let me turn let me turn to andrew andrew you got an interesting thought about the list
1: yeah, you were I mean there's a there's a bunch of threads here. Um Good.
0: Pick up on any.
1: <laughs> well, let me pick up, up on one really quick, Richard. Right off the top of the show, I mean, we're on the 6th of January. It's the Rus- Russian Orthodox Christmas. And back in 2016, I actually put the article up in the chat box. Back in 2016, the head of the Russian Orthodox Church of I forget what his name was, it's in there somewhere, actually went to of all places, Antarctica, oh right, go on. right, yeah, and now richard and and he went there to go bless a new Russian orthodox little wooden church, and it's like <laughs> you know and, and one thing you know, which uh, is the Dr. size Trump, of my kitchen, yeah, exactly, and it's like why I don't think
6: this? penguins can grow beards, no
1: well it's it's very, very strange, uh Ron, and now guess yeah. who we have suggesting that he would like to go and visit. The South Pole. This came out in October. Pope Francis. What? Oh. Yep, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, so we're seeing like... Uh, well, uh, to, to give people
0: proper background, everybody... ...go <laughs> gone to the South Pole for a couple, three years. Obama, the, Putin sent the Baltic fleet. Uh, the, the list of luminaries that have visited McMurdo and the South Pole over the last 10, 20 years, Buzz Aldrin. And yeah. Buzz Aldrin tweeted that there was dark and horrible evil there, and then he became a different person.
1: Yeah, and we just have this theme continuing on, because now, um, I, as I was listening to you guys, I, I Googled uh Patriarch of Russia goes to Antarctica. and Goes, oh, the Pope wants to go now too. <laughs> so, and there's an excuse.
0: Well, it's about go time.
1: Yeah, <laughs> no. So, right, there's one thread I wanted to just, you know, put the needle in That's there and inc- tighten it up. When
0: uh, is there any discussion of when?
1: Um, that I, we can easily Google it. I, I it, it was, I think this year. I, but I, I could be wrong. But of course, is, it has to be
0: this year. It. It's the transition yeah. year yeah well, this is you know, it's I love independent... summer summertime
6: in Antarctica, so it's the
0: right time, well, yeah, if he does it early, you know before like July, hmm. but then it gets cold, so
1: anyway, yeah. um, well, anyway, yeah, go ahead, yeah, well, then the other thread was you you and Ron were talking about the Nazis and how they were scuttling about trying to find you know secret relics and et cetera, et cetera, and then you connect it to Asia. And of course, it made me think about. Uh, well, I'm going to name the name. It's a, a book called Pluto: New Horizons for for a Lost Horizon. This is published 2015 by Richard Grossinger, and you wrote a big chapter oh. in there about Percival Lowell. And and I, Richard, I'd like you to relate to this because you basically talk about how this Boston, what do you call him, a bra- 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 Brah Brahman? Boston
0: Brahmin was the term, which was a you know, the uh, it was one of those things where they were called blue bloods and, okay. you know, the, the the wisdom was that the lulls talk only to the cabots and the cabots talk only to God. So it was a very insular, oligarch, you know, billionaire of the time, because they were millionaires, not billionaires back then, you know, in in, in basically inflation. But he was this international raconteur. uh inherited his father's business, which was import, export, and all that, and suddenly got into his head to go galloping off to Japan, spent several years in Japan, came back, and to the absolute shock of the entire family, came out here, came out to Arizona, and built an observatory, and spent the rest of his life in the damn deserts on the top of Mars Hill outside Flagstaff, exercised by all the other scientific astronomical community because he basically claimed that he saw a canals on Mars through the telescopes that he built and B they were the remnants of an ancient viable civilization still hanging on to life on Mars and everybody and his brother and sister said you know Percy you're crazy and basically he became an outcast scientifically from the entire scientific community, despite the fact of spending millions of dollars of his own money putting together an observatory, which in fact became the observatory that discovered the redshift, the recession of galaxies with increasing distance, billions of light years from the earth, and the credit for the discovery of galactic recession fell to an astronomer at an opposing observatory, Mount Wilson, named Hubble. So Lowell was even dicked out of history because of the imprimatur of him having the temerity to try to advance the idea that the human race is not alone and we have neighbors right next door on Mars.
1: And, of course, Richard left this out. Drumroll. He predicted 15 Uh, years ahead of time... Oh, I love the drum roll. We're all waiting.
0: Awesome. Roll.
2: Go. Yeah.
0: Oh, yes, yes. Percival Lowell, because of the uh, celestial mechanics, uh, predicted the existence of another object, another planet. And, of course, it's down been downgraded to a sub-dwarf planet. Again, I think a political hit job. And it was Clyde Tombaugh, who was this farm kid from Kansas who built his own telescopes that Lowell ultimately hired. To spend incredible tedious nights uh, taking photographs of the sky and then blinking them on a device called a blink comparator to see if there was a moving planet against the background star fields and he spent decades doing this and in 1930 Clyde Tombaugh was successful and so Pluto was born discovered uh, as the so-called ninth planet now downgraded because we now know it's much too small to to have caused any Gravitational perturbations of the outer solar system that had been measured by other astronomers But the first two letters of Pluto Also correspond to Percival Lowell So Lowell has the last laugh
1: And Richard, you provocatively suggest in that chapter That he became, you said it, he he was visiting uh, secular and non-secular temple communities in the Far East, in Japan, I assume. Yeah, in,
0: in and, basically Japan, yeah.
1: Yeah, and you. And one of your suggestions is, did he stumble across an ancient ET list? And if so, is that how he got the information to look a certain way to try to find Pluto? And my, my point is, if, if there is a list embedded in our culture, embedded in our science, or, or, or whatever, are we being fed... Like, like you often use this term, a slow, what do you, time-release time, 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 time
0: release. Release aspirin? Hmm.
1: Right, by someone's, or is it a matter that our instrumentation has to get more precise for us to understand the subcategories <clears throat> that maybe, like you say, we already had? I, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to answer the question of what you said. <laughs> Where do we get this information oh, from? And Andrew,
0: and just... Andrew, as you said that, we just passed
1: 1119.47 on the clock. <laughs> well, I think it's really interesting, and I and I think you know and I think Robert's on it too, where he's saying, well, now we can see a lot of this stuff. But I, I I just think that we have to get away from this idea that these these ships are basically you know human divining rods just being released into the into the solar system. And yeah, we're we have some sort of map that's telling us maybe when our when we have enough technology ready to go to start looking in this place? I, I, I don't know. I'm just trying to answer that question, you know, it, it, from a different perspective, but based on what you talked about.
0: What Pluto, I'm curious about, Robert, is why you think the maps are very modern and why Andrew and Ron and I think they're incredibly ancient.
7: Well, because I'm very modern and you guys are very ancient.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, I just want to say something. Uh, you
7: mentioned 19.5 and passing uh, the time mark here. Yep, yep. I have cross-checked uh, Stephen's uh, calculations, and he is exactly correct. It's 19.469 Holy degrees. criminy! Yeah. Now,
0: now do you, you
7: don't think that's just a coincidence, right? Who knows? Only God knows. And since he was born in Bethlehem, maybe it's, uh, he had a connection to Stonehenge. We've talked about the connection of that area intimately to Stonehenge, the Giza Pyramid. And by the way, I discovered something amazing. Uh, we have, you have a friend, Gary Zeiss, right? Who yep, yep. does the Russian Pyramids? Yep. Well, I've been taking his course, which is five hour, five and a half hours long for the last couple of weeks, and I am mind-boggled that the base angle of the Russian Pyramid is identical to the apex angle of The Great Pyramid. And I've never heard anybody talk about that.
0: I think he talked about it on my first show with him.
7: Yeah? Well
0: See what's interesting I, is I, why why, why why do the pyramid angles change? And and we discussed on the show, in fact I've substance got
7: substance for the most part. Say again. But that one doesn't change. Great pyramid doesn't. Really no 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 no. Change. But I'm
0: I'm saying through history we have pyramids with various angles.
7: Right. All right.
0: There's a bunch mm-hmm. in, in, um, uh, in uh, what, what's the damn, Ethiopia, which is south of, of uh, you know, Egypt, mm-hmm. the so-called Merope pyramids. And they're all yes. in a line and they're all different angles. And I think there are little models of the fact that as the physics changes, if you want a pyramid that will interact with it and amplify the, the force, the HD mm-hmm. physics, you have to change the angle. And, and there the are some
7: of those... Uh... Weren't some of those forms in Ethiopia tetrahedrons?
0: I don't believe so. They were tall and skinny like the Moscow... Tall pir- and skinny, but
7: tetrahedrons. Right. Tall well, and skinny. I saw drawings that I thought were
0: tetrahedrons. You, you mean when you look down from the top, uh, the, the so-called plan view? I don't think so. Sure. I, think, I think they're all versions of like an octahedron where you have an imagined mirror pyramid under, under the ground. In mm-hmm. other words, a pyramid of, on top is only half. And you can see it from these ancient spacecraft. To make the complete thing work, you've got to have both halves, the top and the bottom, which we'll, we'll, we'll get to the president in a minute. And that artifact has the same shape, which is, I don't think. Trivial accidental. point. Yes.
6: The ones, the Moreau type pyramids, that was a kingdom right below Egypt right. most of the time. They, they crossed over, was, uh, has those tall, skinny pyramids, and they were mostly brick. And they not as old they didn't start doing it until after whatever the age is of the Great Pyramid and a couple of others, but the ones that were built in more historical times in egypt uh yeah, they were as old as that, and yet they had that different pitch. If you look through all the old engravings, which of course you know the, back before the middle of the nineteenth century, you didn't have any option. there were no photographs the uh pictures you see, sometimes there are ones that are the tall, skinny, thin things, not dissimilar from the ones in Game of Thrones, if anybody's eyes are glazing those over out there. Uh, that, was, that was the model they used for that. They uh, you know, said, here's the pyramids, and they have these basically spikes. They're practically obelisks. And so they, somebody had something in mind you know, when they designed them that way. It was definitely intentional.
0: Well, given that our model is that the physics changes as the processional cycle moves through the 26,000 years and that the Vedic transitions between the various, you know, ages uh, are are keyed to this processional cycle, uh, which drives the changes in the physics and ultimately is all about frequency. If you're going to make a pyramid, it's going to amplify the field. You can't keep it a static geometry because it will not resonate with the changes in the background physics. So the shapes have to change and all we have to do is to figure out how the changes correspond to the various ages and we'll have a model that can be tested. Uh, I wanna go to my next item, which is number six. We're basically uh, 25 after the hour, someone's eating Fritos, please mute your mic. Um, Last year, last September, The Juno spacecraft, which is another unmanned miracle from NASA, designed to last only a few months because of the intense radiation around Jupiter, but has now lasted years, and in which they put a camera as a kind of an afterthought color camera for the public, and it turns out to be an incredibly valuable instrument. It flew within a few hundred miles of the second inner moon called Europa, and it took photographs. And in the last year, I'm I'm sorry, the last uh, couple, three weeks, a a year after and and change uh, of the flyby, uh, people, NASA put out a video showing the motion picture version of the close-up images taken by the Juno spacecraft in color during the flyby. And I was looking at it, you know, a couple days after it came out, and I kind of freeze-framed it and did some things with one of the frames. And I was shocked to discover that sitting on the ice of Europa, which is basically supposed to be a frozen ice shell sitting 100 miles or so above an interior ocean, which is in turn is sitting on a ball of rock that forms the majority of the moon, which is about the same size as our moon, uh and a solid core there appears to be all kinds of incredible pattern geometry of a global ancient trantor type isaac asimovian foundation trilogy global city totally covered in snow and ice which has been eroding for millions of years revealing again what it used to look like and in incredibly good condition, comparatively speaking. So I picked up the phone and I said to Andrew, "Help, Andrew! That is your cue. What did you find?"
1: Well, uh, we will, I know we're close- we we'll
0: obviously continue yeah. this uh, yeah. across the top of the hour. So set the T's, okay?
1: Okay. Yeah. Well, I did a lot of comparisons to um, other, you know, concepts of planet-wide. Uh, Cities and both in sort of, well, pop culture, and then in terms, well, yeah, pop culture. And then I did a little study of my own, which I will like, I would like to share after the break.
0: Okay, well, we got about a minute, so you want to give us a little more? Ah, okay.
1: (laughs) Well, I mean, I could have drawn the entire surface. This thing is unbelievable. And, I mean, not only is there geometry, Richard, but there's designs. And I think it looks pretty eroded and mucked up, but... I found. I mean, you used the term infrastructure early in the show, saying that we have a complicated infrastructure in our solar system. And I think you're more on the mark than maybe you just said it unconsciously. But this is the kind of things I'm seeing right on this, this image towards the uh, lower part of the picture. And, yeah, when we come back, I can cover it.
0: Amazing. Okay, guys, hold it right there. we're taking a journey into time and secret christmas presents again nasa sends a mission to the inner moons of jupiter about six eight months ago then they suddenly put out a video and on the video the obvious evidence of an ancient extraterrestrial civilization is blatantly clear you're on the other side of midnight My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return. Happy New Year, everyone. This is from an old album called The Ventures in Space that I uh, found a few weeks ago. The Ventures were a very famous rock group, and they ventured into space in this particular rendition. This is The Twilight Zone, a la The Ventures. Welcome to the new year. Anyway, welcome to 2024, our first show of this year, this new year, this cataclysmic year, this year when everything imaginable, from extraterrestrials to extraterrestrial type legal proceedings on Earth, are going to hit the proverbial fan. So back to you, Andrew. What did you find in looking closely at this new NASA release of a video of the Europa flyby about eight months ago?
1: Well, I found what I think is a lot of organization. So if people go to the show banner, click on that, and then go to the guest page, and then you'll find uh, uh, a line that says Fast Links to Items. And just remember the one from – well, actually, let's go to Richard's first. So if you hit Richard and then you go to his number – we were just on it, number six, remember that, pull out of that, and then go to my – so back to the – thing of course now I get lost (laughs) and I go (laughs) to my items and scroll down to number five so if you scroll down number five you click on it I made a poster Uh, I know Ron says you shouldn't put so many pictures on those posters but I do (laughs) I picked it up from Bob Harrison and I'll stick with it but um this is called I called it uh Europa and Ultimate Dim Thule and I'll get into why I called it that later but I took the top part of the image I think it might have been uh this is again from the NASA Juno spacecraft looking sort of towards the apex of the of Pluto of um, sorry Europa my mind's on Pluto and I basically compared it to some pop culture uh artwork done by artists who So we these...
0: want to go to number 5 of your items.
1: Uh it yes sorry I'm sorry number 5 yes did I say 6?
7: Yeah I probably
0: did.
1: Number 5. Oh, uh sorry. number 5. Uh, yep yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, it's
7: just the wrong picture. That doesn't look like Europa. It looks like your sketch of the moon rock.
0: No, no, no. Number oh,
7: no, five. Number uh, five.
1: You got it, Robert?
0: Andrew's Items, number five.
1: Yeah.
0: You got it, Robert?
1: Did
7: we lose Robert?
1: I don't know. No, he's still there. He's just muted.
7: No, so yes, anyway. I got it now. I was looking at uh, Rugeros. I'm
1: sorry. Oh, okay, okay. Uh, Yeah, so there you go, folks. There's a good little tutorial. Make sure you you hit the right person. Uh, And, yeah, and uh, Richard, I'm looking at uh, Trantor and Coruscant. Coruscant was uh, the citywide, or the planet-wide city from the Star Wars series. And, of course, Trantor is from... um, Isaac Asimov's Foundation. Exactly. And, I mean... I really don't think the artists were looking at pictures of Europa when they designed these, you know, these images, but and and I know you this is not scientific at all, but I I'm not a scientist, I'm an artist and this is where I find my patterns. And when I look at them, Richard, I go, "Wow, like and Europa's sure certainly looking a lot like what we see the artists picking up on. The last image is number 3. Uh, and that's from 2010, The Year We Make Contact. That was the sequel – well, it was a, a book written by Arthur C. Clarke as a follow-up to 2001. And then in 2010, they actually – well, Richard, you want to relate the story? I mean in, in, in that particular movie, I believe it's a Russian-American um, venture. And yeah, it's go... it,
0: it's a, it, Well, it's, it's a Russian-American venture, and while it's going on to visit the, um, uh, the Discovery, the spacecraft left – uh, by Bowman when he journeys through the Stargate uh, in orbit around uh, Jupiter, uh, somewhere near uh, Io, <clears throat> the, the inner moon of, of the big moon of, uh, of Jupiter. Uh, this is like, uh, you know, 10 years after, 2001, 2010, nine years. Uh, it's a joint Russian-American uh, venture. They're, they're using very advanced technology developed in in the film, In 2010 to get there, you know, within a few, uh, a couple of years, I think, in hibernation, they get there, uh, they're very curious about what happened to Bowman, they have no idea, they have his last radio contact as he approaches, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, the um, one of the moons. See, in the film, it's set at Jupiter, but in the novel that Arthur wrote, it's set at Saturn. So the moon that interesting stuff is on is called Iapetus and Bowman's last words uh, in the novel are it's full of stars and then he disappears. And so, you know, making the transition between the film and the novel is a little difficult. The the, uh, excuse was that uh, Cooper could not get special effects people to make realistic moons. uh, I'm sorry, rings of Saturn, which I don't buy. I think. It was basically to keep people from thinking about Iapetus, because Iapetus, in in fact, in the NASA imagery, turns out to be even more extraordinary than Arthur wrote about in uh, 2001. But be that as it may, in the film, they go back to visit Discovery, the spacecraft that Bowman abandoned after all the crew were killed because of HAL, remember that, and They used artwork from the close-ups of Europa relatively close, taken by the Voyager flybys in the 1980s. But I see hints of what we see in the Juno pictures in the artwork from the film in your picture number three on your poster. So, again, it's like never a straight answer.
1: Yeah. And even in the corner to the right hand side, Richard and I zoomed in, I didn't, I was going to have a linen set. There's a little pyramid there.
2: There's a crystal
1: pyramid. on the And it's just like, well, again, you know, you could say the, you know, the art director was just make cubes of ice, but this one's pyramidal and there's a few of them and nothing is happens chance in films, folks, like nothing. This is all very peculiarly and particularly designed. So I was just intrigued by that image. Um, Anyways, if we come out of that, and then we now go to my number six, now we go back to, uh, if you zoom in, you'll see Richard's image from the Juno Pro, you know, enhanced a bit, and that's the very top corner, and I zoomed in on a sort of rectangular uh, box, came in really close. By the
0: way, that that straight white line is on the film. It's not on Europa. I didn't take it out because I would have had to do too much damage to original data, and I felt... It's easier to explain. It's just an artifact of the film transfer process. It's not on Europa. All the other lines are.
1: Yeah, and if any of this stuff, Richard, oh, I could come have done on. a "Where's? I could have done a "Where's Waldo" story <laughs> here, like. And I mean the the geometry, the 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 rows, the, the causeway. I mean, there's structure here. There's patterns here. There's implosions here. But one really caught my eye, and it was what looked to me because if I'm thinking of the angle of the spacecraft coming over Europa, this is you know it's pretty top down at this point, but we can still see it on an angle, meaning we're not totally over top, in my opinion, Richard, in, in this image. And so I think what we're seeing here, I mean, this thing almost looks like a, a hollowed out like volcano shape uh, right you, on the planet surface. You
0: mean you mean the one that's in, in your white square?
1: Exactly, which I then enhanced and called it one Europa surface detail. And to me, so I drew it, pull, tried to pull out more features, which you can see beside it, number two. And then if you scroll down, I did a series of four images where I'm I basically imagining reconstruct it. Yeah, You reconstructed it. Yeah. Infrastructure- you put
0: back all the sides, all the surface
1: coverings. To, to me, Richard, it looks like I, – I showed my youngest son. He just turned 12 recently, and he was bouncing around the house, and he happened to come into my office, and I said, hey, Stellan, what do you think of this? And I showed him the number two, which I've written, written as infrastructure. I didn't have any label, no name on it. He goes, oh, that's a pyramid. Huh. It was like – and, I mean, he didn't know what I was doing. Yeah, you know, he probably thinks I'm crazy, anyways. And until I'm coaching baseball, and then he thinks I'm even crazier. But no. But so what I did is I took four images of the same my same shot and just yeah, I reconstructed the infrastructure. Well, covered the infrastructure. What I think is, and Richard, and I came up with this, and you know, I you I could do this over and over again on this surface, just over and over again. Um,
0: well, we're looking at these things as three dimensional structures in perspective because you're yeah. looking I think you're about 45 degrees from the from the limb in terms yes. of spacecraft geometry which means you're looking at a 45 degree angle which is like looking out the window of an airplane at the landscape
1: yeah
0: so you're yeah, seeing it, so you're seeing it as a 3D this is not just an ice surface with icebergs and rifting and upwellings of of uh, ice you know shooting up from warm water, you know, 100 miles underneath. These are three-dimensional structures with shadows. Yes. That should not be there. Yeah, Nothing I like mean,
1: this tra- should be there. No, exactly. There's triangles. There's there's um like things in inside which to me looks like ancient structures and walkways or whatever. I have no idea what it is, but but to me it looks like a busted up pyramidal. I mean, that's what it looks like to me. And again, I could go all around this surface and keep doing this process and we would see even more extraordinary. Well, I thought this was one of the most extraordinary things, but it looks like to me organized streets or at least, you know, bridges. I, I don't know what they are, but what they reminded me of, and if we come out of this and we go to my number seven, is same image, the Europa NASA Juno spacecraft and Richards enhancement. And I put it side by side with a Jack Kirby. Uh, illustration from uh, it was a series between 1970 and 1973 called The Fourth World from DC Comics and this was uh, called Apocalypse and it was like a planet wide city structure and again Richard I I mean I don't think Kirby was seeing these images back in 1970 or maybe he was but here here again is another example of where did he get because it looks an awful lot like um, Europa and again I'm, I'm not saying he was drawing Europa But it's the forms that he was drawing, which remind me so much. Which are
0: probably archetypal. And if there is reincarnation and there is connection between, you know, generations spanning hundreds of thousands, if not millions of years, Kirby could in fact have been, you know, an import from the time when he did live there.
1: He was seeing something. And if you actually, folks, if you go and, On YouTube and listen just Google up or Google up uh, YouTube YouTube up whatever the term is I don't know what the verb is but just look up um, Jack Kirby interviews and there are some extraordinary interviews that were done with him where he's talking about this stuff And he says well in my imagination you know if you meet some space guy out there I mean he's going on and on and you know you could say well you know he's an artist that was his job to, to visualize things but this guy was down to earth okay he worked really? where, where he worked where Robert works or where Robert well, where Robert works and plays and has his pizza in New York City and you know, he he was in the war and he was actually a field artist where he would draw you know, go out and draw positions of of the Nazis in the uh in, you know, for the Allies. And when he was back in New York and there were still, you know, Nazis around, they would, they would call up to him. And, you know, try to intimidate him. And he'd come down all those flights of stairs, fists ablazing, ready to punch these guys out on the streets of New York. You know, this guy was a tough kid when he when he was growing up. He had to be. But yeah, so this is a very grounded person and a business person that made, you know, that created basically the Marvel Universe. And so you talk about visionary. <laughs> but Richard, one thing that I, I, that's I that been nagging me about a lot of the stuff we're seeing in our solar system, uh, and we might get to we might not with my stuff, but a lot of this stuff looks like Aztec iconography. So if you look at my number three, it's it's, the, it's called the Aztec Calendar Stone from Mexico, and Ron would know this one even if he's not
0: looking at it right this, now. This and is Richard,
1: still on your number
0: seven poster.
1: Seven poster. Oh, you are at number three, and I'm seeing – Again, from this, these Europa images, from Kirby's drawings, and then there's many more Kirby drawings that show you know these fantastic worlds he creates that look so much like the lines, patterns, and and graphics. Of the, I call them graphics because they're like worldwide graphics, and his stuff looks a lot like this 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 Aztec iconography. And uh, yeah, do you want to comment about that, Richard?
0: Well, again. I'm in favor of the ancient memory model, because the human race is so much older than we've been allowed to believe, and I can't believe that high-tech civilizations don't leave records, and they leave them specifically, Ron, for the future, mm-hmm. because we know now from our own Earth history that civilizations come and go. How, how did we ever find the library of Ashurbanipal if him, a King, and Sumer didn't leave a deliberate record? So that future generations would have something to know that he existed, that he was there, that he, you know, that he, he, he ruled. So there could be very yeah. minute ego driven reasons for leaving time capsules, or there could be much larger societal reasons for leaving time capsules. But it seems to be a common urge of humanity to leave records for those that will come after.
7: Hey, that's what I like to make a comment, I, comment on, uh, yeah, go on ahead. The Europa. uh you recall when you sent it I didn't recognize it. I said what's that gingerbread pumpkin uh, planet that you sent <laughs> <laughs> and you said it's yeah. uh, Europa well here again we have an instance of proof that NASA has been lying to us for 40 years I've been following Europa ever since Richard wrote up life on Europa back in 1988 and I had the privilege I think I'm the only human being ever to observe Europa with a naked eye, and Richard knows the story of shoemaker levy nine impacts. Richard gave me the the timetable for the arrival of the Shoemaker Nine asteroid that went in in nine pieces, and we knew back in December of ninety one that we wouldn't be able to see it directly because it was going to hit the far side of Jupiter, but that we might be able to see. Uh, reflection off one of the moons. So I based my observations on that premise, and I, I looked out, and I got to see Europa with my own eyes. And the thing about it that struck me was that the glow of that, of that star at that moment was so beautiful that it reminded me of the star of Bethlehem. And it wasn't stark white. Mm. And now I realize from this picture why. Because it's covered with, as you said, I think you said sulfur. It's covered. From yeah, let me,
0: let me let let me me give people a kind but, of. But let,
7: me, let me finish. Okay, let go, me ahead. Finish. go ahead. Look, NASA lied to us about Europa, always made it look white and iced over, even though they showed some of the, the texture. But here we have proof that they lied even about the color of Europa. So, all right, left. let me,
0: let me, uh, let me, let me give, uh, give some background because this is really interesting because we can use Europa and the publicly available NASA data to do a reconstruction of a solar system civilization timeline. Remember, my model is that the solar system was completely redesigned circa 500, 600 million years ago. We won't go into how I know that date tonight. Then a lot happened that we don't know anything about. Then, in in about 66 million years ago, and if that number is familiar, I'll tell you a a little why why in in a minute. 66 million years, there was the Great War, which wiped out the dinosaurs, which eradicated huge portions of this redesigned solar system when there were people living on and in worlds all over the solar system, like Trantor's everywhere you would look, including the moons. I mean, there's something like 97 moon satellites of Jupiter at the moment. There's only four big ones. And there's evidence on all of them of ancient habitation, even in the midst of this incredible radiation field from Jupiter's magnetic field and the so-called Jovian Van Allen belts. So if there was a great war, and physically, Europa is, as NASA's told us, and the evidence seems to support that, an ice shell over a deep ocean covering the entire moon, which is the size of our moon, give or take, covering a solid core, uh, a, a, a mantle, and then, a, and then a, a, some kind of metallic core. If there was a civilization ever on Europa, it was living on the crust of ice, which is 100 miles thick. So it's very, 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 very stable. Then the war happened. The war effect on Io is to create sulfurous volcanic eruptions, which send plumes of gigatons of material of the innards of Io into space every year. Some of that sulfur-laden material drifts through the magnetosphere of, of Jupiter and lands on the ice on Europa. Well, how did that ice come to be? Well, if there was an ancient war and something of a massive scale penetrated that relatively thin 100-mile crust, the ocean underneath would have gushed into space in huge plumes, would have evaporated, recondensed all over the surface of Europa and covered, uh, Andrew, any structures. My calculation is the covering would have been over a mile deep. So we wouldn't see any of this geometry. It's all buried and preserved in literally solid ice under very low gravity conditions. Then time happens. I went and did a calculation. I did some research. And it turns out that in the solar system at Jupiter's distance, an exposed surface of ice will melt or sublimate at a rate of about seven millimeters year seven millimeters is let me look at my my uh, ruler here seven millimeters is about uh um three inches okay three so three inches of ice melts at at europa exposed to the sun in a year you do some numbers and it turns out that From the war over 66 million years, there could have been over a mile of ice, which sublimated, revealing once again, the ancient geometry of buildings and highways and bridges and freeways and structures and pyramids covered safely in ice for 60 plus million years until it was exposed. And it's now been continually exposed to drifting over by sulfur from Io so what we're seeing is not pristine ice it's sulfur-laden ice and it's being more and more uh, exposed and all oh, the wiggly dark cracks those are cracks in the ice shell because of Jupiter's tides that would eventually show up and go through everything over tens of millions of years so there's a literal world time capsule being revealed before our very eyes to which NASA beginning in the 80s sent Voyager, then they sent Galileo, then they sent Juno, and there will be human manned ships that go to Europa and investigate. And the most amazing thing, which this proves to me, is A, we're looking at incredibly ancient architecture, and B, somehow they had a technology that allowed them to live on the surface of Europa in the middle of the dense radiation fields of Jupiter and live scot-free with no radiation damage, meaning they had a perfect, impermeable, hyperdimensional radiation shield, which we could certainly use today.
6: Richard Ice isn't a radiation shield.
0: No, 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 no. The ice is merely the covering from the underneath oceans, which covered the ruins, the remains, for tens of millions of years until solar thermal radiation from the sun, heat, at a half a billion miles, slowly evaporated it, sublimed it in a vacuum, combined with the, the, the radiation of Jupiter, which heats things somewhat. So you're seeing a revealed, preserved, ancient fossil Civilization that, for most of the time, has been buried under miles of ice.
1: And Richard, I have to bring in a little sideways comment here, just because of the connections that are being made. If you don't mind. No problem. And that is, Io features prominently in the movie Outland, Outland, which was, I think, a 1981 movie with Sean Connery. It was about an outpost, a a mineral, like they were mining for. Yeah, they were mining
7: minerals on, on Io.
1: Yeah, well, the director was Peter Hyams, who directed 2010. Yep. And Capricorn One. <laughs> so, well, my point is, That's it's funny. in the culture. It's in the culture, whether it's pop culture. The people
0: who don't or, remember Capricorn One, give them the you know <clears throat> teaser, the the 30 second elevator pitch.
1: Well, it was a 1977 film, fantastic film, actually. I think it's yeah, like it's science fiction, and it basically it's about a going to be a NASA is going to launch a probe to Mars, like a manned mission. And at the last minute, and there's all this political intrigue going on between the politicians, of course. But meanwhile, uh, the guys are all loaded up in the capsule about ready to launch. And then there's a tap at their door and they're all like, what? And they get pulled out. And basically there's a glitch with the capsule and, or with the rocket, I guess with the capsule, that they would not eventually not be able to, I think, re-enter the. Are, are like I don't know what was failed on the sh- on the ship Richard, but when the when the when the capsule came back from Mars, it was going to basically burn up. So they were sort of scuttled away and basically convinced to enter a sound stage that looked like Mars and do a pretend landing.
0: A fake and, mission, exactly. Just like NASA was proclaiming at JPL the afternoon, the astronauts were still falling home from Apollo 11, and I saw it with my own eyes. NASA promulgating the idea of fake fake missions come on
1: yeah my my whole point yeah. is is that embedded in our pop culture embedded in our i don't know literature or whatever are are these you know are these memes these ideas that are that are just peppered peppered that just makes us sneeze but we don't quite get the cold <laughs> you know like we just sort of sniffle and it's time we catch a cold and and get over it you know and and face the illness of our past
0: Okay, we this are very is a good close. Point to... Go ahead. Go ahead, Ron. Yeah, I...
6: <clears throat> yeah, this only takes moments. I'm just waiting for a chance to insert this. Uh, Charles Fort, the newspaper man around the beginning of the last century that uh, was friends with people like Mark Twain and who knows who else, and he wrote about uh, various mysterious extraterrestrial influences. And the long form of one of his statements connected to that Famous uh, slogan, I think we are property, which he put on the flyleaf of the book. But Richard knows there's all paragraph attached to it, and he talks about. Now remember, this is before World War One. He talks about orbiting skeletons of skyscrapers, their uh, girders gleaming in the sun. Oh my! Uh, I mean, it's, it's that, that the word I. I think I prettied up just instinctively the language slightly, but that's exactly what it says. Uh, You can find it easily enough if you dig for that uh, I think we are property quote because then you can find the full form rather than searching to see which page on the book Low it's hidden on. But it's – yeah, he wrote lots of things. Where would he get the idea of skyscrapers a la girders floating around in
7: orbit?
0: Good grief. Because yeah, that was not yeah. the, the, the the you know the idea of Earth satellites and even space travel was very primitive back then. And the idea of uh, uh I forget Edward Everett Hale wrote about the first Earth satellite, and it was called the Brick Moon because they were thinking in terms of masonry, not girders and steel and spars and all that. So yeah, where did he get the well, idea of girders? Hey, we're at the uh, uh, we're at the top of the hour. One hour is that to go. That's 30 seconds? Because you just
6: brought something up.
0: If well, let's do it on the other and, side. This is a hard break. Well, it's they, not a long thing. It's just it's,
6: all that stuff, all the rubble covering the uh, ships, that like dinky mess and every, everything else. Uh, they could relate that as bricks if people didn't know what they were doing. Maybe.
0: You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We're covering all the secret Christmas presents that NASA has given us over the last year. And they just haven't gotten around to uh, tell us. Wait till you see what we've found on Mars. We shall return.
5: Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs, $9.95 a month, $0.33 cents a day. Listen while you travel, or as an environment to your endeavours. $8 cents an episode, 2.5 cents per hour of content. The other side of midnight.com.
0: A civilization which could be hundreds of millions of years old with ruins lying around us on all these worlds we think of as barren and sterile and desiccated and vacuum and radiation drenched All because our space agency, our hidden NASA mission has its real mission to figure it out for itself and not tell anybody else. Unless this is the year when everything comes forth, you're on the other side of midnight my panelists tonight, Ron Gerbron, Andrew Curry, and uh, Robert Morningstar. Rogero Calo is going to join us in a few minutes from England. I want to segue now. We'll come back to the outer solar system, later. I want to segue to Mars because I made a really astonishing serendipitous discovery as I was preparing some of the information we're going to talk about tonight about Mars. And I want to save enough time so we can really kind of savor it and roll it around and see how it, you know, remember they used to say, you know, see how it uh, uh, flies in Connecticut <clears throat> or is it running up a flag flagpole and see who salutes. Anyway, let's go back to Radioithic. Let us go to my section. Remember how to get there. Fast links to items. Click on my name on the guest page. Go down to item number seven. This is... A new image of the face on Mars the Mars reconnaissance orbiter which is basically a high-powered Hubble in Mars orbit looking down and not looking up uh, took a picture of the face of Cydonia 16 years ago it never took another one year after year after year after year with an incredibly able camera with a lowered orbit with superb resolution, superb linearity, uh, color. They never went near Sidonia in public again until a few months ago. And they took the picture you see in my item number seven. If you look at my number eight, this is a close-up of the eye region of the face on Mars. Click on each of these and they get much bigger. Then look at number nine. This is a close up of the left portion of number eight. The right hand eye, if you're in the face, the left hand eye, if you're looking at it face on. Click on these and what you see is an incredible confirmation. Finally, after 16 years by NASA, without a word, just putting out the data of a model for the face on Mars that I proposed in my first book on all this, The Monuments of Mars, A City on the Edge of Forever. Boy, did I get forever (laughs) right. Anyway, it turns out that the face is filled with honeycombed, cabin-like, room-like, cubic-like structures, subgeometries like um, egg cartons, except in countable or countless profusion all over the parts of the face that we can see that have not eroded away or covered with debris. If you look at number 10, this is a region of the face which now is at the bottom, the so-called chin, and for the first time ever from NASA, we clearly see that the face is a huge mile-long, 1,500-foot-high thousand foot wide structure composed of countless compartments when i said in monuments that the face could have literally been headquarters the center of a planet-wide civilization at sidonia where the administrative and religious and bureaucratic structure was maintained organized controlled that the face was head quarters it now turns out in this latest mro image just look at the pictures that this model was absolutely correct now we haven't gotten down to the libraries yet which i'm absolutely certain are buried in the center of the face and even after a half a million years they should be in pretty good condition unless one of our earlier prior high-tech civilizations long after this martian epic went and brought everything home to earth but i kind of doubt it i kind of think that there was again this cultural and civilization meme to leave for your descendants clues as to how they were formed how they originated but if you click on item number 10 and you move the cursor just a bit to the right between the nose and the chin, you'll see a circlish area with a bright highlight, like a sun glint. I saw that in the early MRO image that was released 16 years ago, and I proposed that maybe it was some kind of preserved dome, a glass dome left over and uncovered by the erosion of the structures around it, but I didn't have the geometric evidence to prove anything. Look at my number eleven. Look very carefully. Click on it. Zoom in. You'll see faint traceries of hidden geometry, which looks weirdly diffuse. In fact, if you look at the the, the bigger image, uh, you know, the wider scale image, number eleven, without clicking on it, you can see that whatever is in that circle particularly north of the glint, is diffused and not as sharp as what appears to be outside it, where the shadows appear very dark and the edges appear crisp. What I did in 12 was to simply rotate it so it's more in line with the <clears throat> nose, forehead, chin axis of the face. I amplified the, the values, heightened contrast, and you can see that the detail Under that glinted bubble appears to be much finer than the detail outside. The detail outside, although it's geometric, appears on much larger scale than the geometry inside the bubble. In other words, what I think we're looking at is the preserved remnants of a relatively modern dome put as a preservative, as a protector, as a shield. Against desert winds and sand and oxygen erosion and all kinds of other you know erosive entropic forces that preserved when it was erected, long after the face itself, of course. But it preserved a fragment, an entry into the face interior, which is much more uh, of the original than what we see all around it on this extraordinary artificial. Mesa, And if I'm right, that's the place to go where we have access to the interior and the treasures buried and preserved within the face on Mars and a place where the surface structures, the buildings, the libraries, the restaurants, whatever we're talking about, has been preserved by some successor civilization so that when we came along, meaning a later civilization we would know where to go to find the jewels of the solar system gentlemen your thoughts
6: well so i the have it strikes me oh go ahead robert
7: sorry the thing that strikes me is the striated nebulosity that seems to cover that area Yes. In detail. yes. but the other thing that struck me is in the wider view I looked at it, and I saw what appeared to me to be a vertical slit, like a pupil, and it reminded me of a cat's eye. Are we talking in the bubble? Yeah, inside the bubble, what you call the dome. Inside it, on the left side of the bright spot, there's a vertical line that reminds me it. of I see it. I see
0: it. It's about at the 11 o'clock position.
7: 10 o'clock, yes. 11 o'clock. And it's, it's long, and when you look at it in the smaller version, I think it, it looks more like a cat's eye, as I was... Uh, just saying, my my impression. And of course, uh, half of the head of the uh, space on Mars is a cat. So now, it's a pretty interesting discovery, Richard. Congratulations. It's the place we
0: need to go. Which means I need to call up Elon Musk, show him this, and tell him to get a move on. Right? Because we're not going to get the truth from NASA. There's no way, unless this is on a very long time-release aspirin, which it might be, we're going to get the truth from NASA. And even if they did give us their truth, <clears throat> how would we know it was the truth? You have to have checks and balances. You've got to have competition. The space program cannot get along without Elon Musk.
2: Yeah, let's
7: tell him, like uh, my friends in Maine like to say, it's time to get a leg in the road. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Andrew?
7: Uh, oh, no, Ron. Well, Ron wanted to go. Oh, Ron, Ron. Yeah,
6: Ron, Ron. Ron, go ahead. Oh, really? I just want to, I just want to uh, toss a Tweedle about the, uh, my perception of it. I think that the original construction of the face was a self-contained city. So all that stuff I you're talking about with the little cubbles and stuff of the city, and the dome over it did indeed look like a face,
0: not completely
6: unlike... Wait, well, you're the, talking about the
0: entire speaking. mesa we call the face, and that there was a yes. dome over it. Well, yeah, we, can actually, has, we can actually see huh? remnants of that dome on the European Mars Express color image. And I published, yes. I didn't have time to put it up tonight because the show would have been five hours long. But you can go back and look at some of the past shows and we'll re- reprise this for future programs. But yeah, Ron has believed from very long time the ago, beginning. years ago, yeah. when he and I started talking, that there used to be an ancient glass dome over the face. And I found the evidence on the Mars Express color imagery because glass sh- scatters light differently than other materials and it gives a bluish cast and you can see fragments of this ancient dome. So like any good museumologist, like a Smithsonian, if you're trying to preserve an ancient history on a scale that for most folks is unimaginable, but you have the technology to do it. You try to dome it in to preserve as much of it as possible. This dome on the face, which is a few hundred feet in diameter, is a tiny still-preserved fraction, I believe, of that ancient preservation impulse. Yeah, yeah I think re- it was – yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, no, Andrew, no Ron. Right.
6: You're, sorry. No, finish up. Okay, re- I – I think the dome was intentional from the start, because they were already uh, in the latter phases of losing the atmosphere there, and so they set that up. So it very in- it indeed might be the kind of archive site that you mean, but I'm not quite sure if we could learn all of uh, the science of Earth by going through the Smithsonian. <laughs>
2: yeah,
6: this was their Smithsonian, I think. Uh, but there were you know there was a whole thriving society there uh, the uh I think that the dome was shattered in very historical times, uh very recently and well, uh, let's, that's let's, why,
0: let' us try to yeah. put some numbers to this. My time frame, based on the celestial alignments, earth rising over the face, and all that from the city, in the monuments of Mars, a city on the edge of forever, mm-hmm. hint hint right, was roughly half a yeah. million years ago. Half a million years on Earth, there used to be folks running around in the African belt called Homo erectus. My model says that someone took some of those people to Mars, created separate sets of Martian civilization, renewal, renaissance, refurbishment, Phoenix rising from the ashes, etc. kept them there or they kept themselves there until relatively recently, the last forty, fifty thousand 50,000 years when they were forced to come back to Earth because Mars had become, in the words of Elton John, the kind of place where you can't raise your kids. So the stuff that we're looking at spans at least half a million years, but the earlier stuff, the mega, mega super construction like the face itself could well be 100 million years old which required preservation when a culture evolved that realized what they were living amongst and tried to preserve their history, their origins for future generations. Because why would you preserve it for yourself? You're not going to live long enough for there to be any deterioration on a human time scale, even a human time scale where people lived like a thousand years. It's nothing compared to the age of these relics. But if you're having really long-term plans for distant future generations, thousands of generations distant, then you would make these gargantuan efforts, which to that level of technology, hyperdimensional physics and infinite energy, would be relatively modest, if not trivial, to carry out.
6: Well, we still have a problem uh, between you and I about (laughs) the um, time frame.
0: And that makes and that stuff. makes and that makes horse races. Now the cool yeah, stuff yeah, is yeah. that within our lifetime, I plan to live very long. <clears throat> we're going to find okay. out all of this speculation tonight. We have it within our power to find out. We simply have to know politically where to exert the pressure points, so we ultimately get the change that we deserve. Okay, Andrew, and I would
6: like to make a okay.
0: Andrew, Andrew, go ahead. I was, uh,
6: okay. I, all right.
0: No, we got I some keep time. keep saying, go
6: ahead, and then I talk. No, so, wrong you fin- again, finish. If you okay, finish the point. Uh, I would call out to the entirety of the audience, and anyone who thinks that they are an archaeologist, anthropologist, or uh, interested party, uh, to help figure out the time frame for us, because you don't have to believe more than about ten percent of what uh, Richard's model <laughs> pitches or. Or even twenty percent of mine. Uh, the uh, there's there's still a lot of wiggle room.
0: Notice there, the proportions. You know. <clears throat> okay.
6: Now, yes. well, well,
0: before <laughs> before I let Andrew. Of oh, course, of of course, of course. Of course. Of course. All right. I've got my remember, I've got remember, my horn
6: right here. Remember, two, two, all yeah,
0: science is approximate. All of this is ballparking because we don't have ground truth. As soon as we have a real mm. calendar from an archive, then we'll have total calibration of all the different phases, and there have been a lot of phases of civilization that we're, we're we're missing totally. We're only looking at the big stuff, the stuff that's big enough to have survived without deliberate preparation to allow it to survive. Let me make one final point. I, I made a, a chance discovery, again, preparing for tonight. Other MRO imagery early on of the face on Mars and other Sidonia imagery by the Europeans, by Malin and his cameras on Surveyor, Odyssey, whatever, they do not show the sun glint on the bubble. If the sun angle changes, it goes away, which if it was a surface feature that was a light patch of something, at all sun angles it would be very prominent. It's only available on a very tiny fraction of the images, meaning it is a sun glint off a dome where beneath the dome, something astonishing has been deliberately preserved by one of our great, 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 great grandmothers, or a bunch of them. Robert. Okay, point oh, I'm not, waters, sorry. I'm party. sorry. Andrew. Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Andrew. Oh, yeah. yeah I, go ahead, Andrew. I was just going to
6: throw some anthropology on the pile. Go ahead. Oh, okay. I'll come back
1: with it. Um, so I think... <laughs> First of all, I think this is, um, well, if you want, I think this is extraordinary, Richard. I haven't seen this, and I've taken it out of the um, file and blown it up in my own program. And,
2: Look at the geometry! Okay,
1: I know, but, it, but it's more. So there are four things for me that show that this is beyond belief. Number one, it is hazy and yeah. translucent, like, you said, and Robert said. Number two,
0: well, hang on, hang there's on. the glint. What, what happens to glass, a dome, a bubble, if you scratch it with enough dust particles?
1: Yeah, it's going to get hazy. Yeah. Yes. And the glint is unbelievable. It even has structure. I, I know you've enhanced it here, but it, ha, you know, it's obviously glinting off like cellular, like construction on the top of whatever this dome is. I, I, I think.
5: Well, I
0: don't think and, it's a clear bubble. I think it's more. As Robert very artfully pointed out, striations and other geometry. Yeah, I think it's a very sophisticated Bucky Fuller geodesic yes. dome, because if you build mm-hmm. one and it shatters, plunk, you've lost your dome. If you build that's it right. in subsections, mm-hmm. you lose a panel, you replace a panel, life goes on.
1: Right, and that's the third part that to me shows this is this is unbelievable. Are the striations the, the literal? ribbing structuring that's going um well predominantly in, in your number 11 i think i i know i've got on my own program now and i'm looking number 12 it's going in, in number 12 but what takes me to the fourth dimension here to the fourth reason is when i look really closely i'm okay if you look on the outer rim of the of, of this what we're calling the dome all the structures the cellul- the cells the, the the building cells the open you know roofs that show rooms they're all pretty rough and they've been blown by sand and i did an illustration years ago and i if i'd known this was here i would have brought that up <laughs> but anyways this it's all eroded and it's really rough but if you look really carefully in some program i literally can see remember that game from the 70s spirograph you, you put a sure. circle and your pencil through the, and you'd make all these beautiful circular patterns. I'm seeing that in a certain part of this. Oh, I'm seeing and I,
0: totally preserved geometry in the, or, or as preserved as we can expect, but it's radically different than what's outside the dome, which is just yes. exposed, much more eroded, much fuzzier, yes. softer. In other words, the dome uh, occupies every part of the theory of prediction that if you have a dome and it's designed to protect, What's under it should be sharper and better and more protected than what's not under the dome, and that's what we're seeing.
1: And it's more elegant, Richard, even though it's really soft right now from this. But I'm also – oh, my goodness. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just
0: I'm blown well, away. Well, obviously is, for the next show we need a sketch or a set of sketches.
1: I would really like to – and I know part of it would be intuating, and I hope Gero, who is here, will be able to chime in and maybe do this too because this is – stunning and I, I swear you I'm seeing my my Aztecian Kirby-esque like stuff popping up underneath even though I, I, yeah no this is amazing you know I recently was had flown to um, um, Las Vegas Nevada and I my wife was sitting inks in the window and she was watching a movie and I said are you really going to do that, like in the sunlight? <laughs> and she says, well, you want to sit here? And I said, yes. So we moved. I shuffled over and sat, and I just stared out the window the entire time. The and I'm telling you – yeah, and the landscape is just – it's just random. But as soon as you see a town, a city, what it, it, the organization begins, and you can see it in this. It's unbelievable.
0: hmm Now I imagine that there are even better images that NASA hasn't revealed to us yet. Remember, this is time-released aspirin. Why after 16 years in 2023, which is kind of like Christmas Eve, before 2024 when we're gonna get the real presents, why are they giving us finally something that I projected in monuments decades ago, confirmation of the damn model, but only yesterday? Yesterday.
1: Well, I'd like go, to say. You, oh,
7: sorry, go ahead, yeah. I'd like to say that the glint in the in the image appears to me to be coming up from the bottom of the basin and covered up by that uh, nebulosity. But also at the four o'clock and at the seven and eight o'clock position around that, there's a lot of structure there. Oh, there's tremendous structure. Like yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. Buildings are. Uh, yes. Uh, enclosures, yep. both sides, four yep. four to five o'clock, and then I would say seven to nine o'clock. A lot of stuff in there. Almost looks like a number thirty-five. <laughs> since we've been talking about numbers oh, on rocks. Oh, oh, oh. okay,
2: yeah.
1: yeah. And, and Robert, I think there's literally a sculpt, a, a massive sculpture on on the rim. Like I, I'm telling you, there, there's stuff here that's we have to unearth. We have to chip away at because this is this is unbelievable. unbelievable. The upper left. Andrew, I well, um, I'm looking at. Oh darn it! I'm use, looking at number. Use num- the level as a clock. You know. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at number twelve, and if I'm looking at twelve and I pulled it out, no, I'm I looking meant at, on the face itself. Yeah, go ahead. Oh no, I meant number twelve. Richard's number twelve. If you look at exactly yeah. at three o'clock and you zoom in, there is a flaring up from the bottom of this. You know, whatever is the bottom part of this part of the face, it flares up into a beautiful. This is semi. Oh, I have to go and see. As this I say, could
0: it, have been a much more modern town, because the face is not. You know, it's like a thousand feet wide, so it's not a city in itself. But it could be a much more recent set of constructs
4: by a later
0: civilization that basically were archivists, and their mission was to live with the face, learn the face, figure it out, and the, they were kind of like monks. You know, there was their twenty-four hour preoccupation scribes scribes well yeah i would think that research was better than scribes in other words if you if you hang out as a base camp and you need to to be there maybe you've developed something that allows you to live a kind of a semi-comfortable life while you're there and in other words we won't know any of this until we find the libraries the records okay uh rogero is going to come on after the bottom of the hour, we only got about a half an hour left to do a, a couple things, but we can go through them quickly before we get to the resistance, which is the president's artifact. So, um uh, one minute. Anybody have any comments on the Mars section?
1: On the Mars section? What we just uh, talked about. Well, Ron, you wanted to add an anthropological point of view.
6: Oh, no, I was just going to say that uh, I'm trying to – I'm still working on the timeline, uh, but a half a million years ago, uh, some of the uncomfortable evidence, the stuff that's acknowledged now, but everybody's afraid to write a paper about it, except just to reference it sideways. Um, If you say Emily Dickinson, I'll shoot you. Uh, (laughs) That um, was uh, all three of the identified – progenitors of uh, modern humans were coexisting. They found the evidence of Homo sapiens, Neanderthal, and uh, the Denis- uh, Denisovans uh, going back at least that long. So they were all coexisting simultaneously. It's kind of an anti-evolution uh, rip. So that's why you don't hear about it much. But you can, yeah, you can track that down pretty easily if you don't believe me. That's, that's I was just going to throw that in there. It's,
4: uh,
0: <laughs> okay, we are, at, we, are the, we, are the, we are at the bottom of the hour. My guest this morning, to be added to with uh, Rogero when he comes on momentarily, are discussing the list of secret NASA presents that they have put out in the public domain. And they haven't told us anything about them, except what we can find out for ourselves. And tonight, you heard it here first. We have made a really stunning, obviously verifiable discovery of a bubble of modern modernity. I'll say that properly. Dead center on the center line of the ancient, ancient, ancient face on Mars. It's not just your average mesa. You're on the other side of midnight. My name is Richard C. Hoagland. We shall return...
5: Night.com. Tune in to listen to Richard C. Hodland and his fascinating guests. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive member benefits. Listen to past episodes anytime on any device. Search the archives of over 180 episodes. Membership costs $9.95 a month, $0.33 a day. Support the broadcaster to provide you with the most interesting conversation available. Talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought. The other side of midnight.com.
0: And welcome back to The Other Side of Midnight on this uh, Saturday night, now Sunday morning, January 7th of 2023. 2024. Gosh, see, I'm doing it already. My panel is too numerous to mention. Ruggiero has been waiting patiently in the wings in Britain. He did some brilliant sketches from this new Mars Reconnaissance Orbiter data. Ruggiero, what do you think of everything we've talked about? And lead us through some of your items.
4: Good morning Richard. Good morning everyone and uh good evening. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Thank you very much. So yeah, if, uh, if, uh if the listeners want to click on some my my items and uh we'll go we got the original uh what well, the new high rise uh, face image that came out. What date was that out Richard? When did it come out? The, it was taken you know exactly?
0: uh, It was just a few months ago, like a month or two ago.
4: Mm. Mm. And I was uh, I, I was stunned when when i i saw that first image because uh, some years ago i drew for you um the viking image and i was like wow there's so much uh detail in that i can't believe everybody can't see it um and you, you may have lost it over my friends emails we've sent but uh, that i could have included that on my items today but when we look at the historic viking images of um Sidonia model we've been given the public's been given is that the the face image is there over the over the mesa simply due to light and shadow right
0: that's the wisdom from NASA
4: that's that's the confirmation right that's a scientific confirmation then we see this image and because modern technology can you know it can uh, smooth out the rough it can show the detail we want to see we would expect to see this woman image get profoundly worse instead it's like a thousand times better <laughs> <laughs> you know, like at least i've been kind um and the deep when i when i looked at that i was like oh my gosh the detail just jumped up jumped out at me and i i decided to sketch And i really really enjoyed doing the sketch of this face. um so let's get on to my items. So what I did, I got my, my I did this in pen, got the pen out. I just stuck some blue tack onto my computer, my laptop screen, and uh, I put some tracing paper over the top, and I, I started to get to work. And I just couldn't believe the amount of um, detail that was coming out of this this image. And, and what it felt like to me, I me and you had a conversation about this, when I was drawing it, I was like, "Oh, this is real. I didn't draw this. Someone else did. Ah. I've just, I've just sketched and overlaid, and um,
0: so it's like I you were you were an artist copying a much more ancient designer.
4: Absolutely, one one hundred percent. The connection was quite strange as I as I drew it, and um, what really really weird was i was like why is there a picture of a lion on another planet <laughs> um and i'm talking from 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 a biological scientist's perspective uh it i found it if we, if we had the classical evolution model and, and and life did evolve on mars independently of of earth other than maybe bacterial life which would then seed everything you know, to, to um, give a full uh, ecospheres, that the word I'm looking for. Mm-hmm. Um, things shouldn't be quite the same, although we do see in nature like uh, the wing will appear in a bumblebee and a bird and even a flying fox, right? Um, we shouldn't see the same. So then, my, uh, my head was scratching, why, why have we got this? Why is there a lion face on there? That's going to... That's your argument there, Richard, you know, opens up a whole new discussion. But let's get down to the detail, and I'd like the panel to to comment um, when they see stuff. So let's click on my image number three okay. and um, have a click, and just let it speak to you first before I say anything. Mm. And your dome is there, Ian. Uh, sorry, <laughs> Richard. The, ch- the chin has a dome on it. So does the nose, I think.
0: Yes. But the one on the nose is gone and the right. one on the chin is still there. Okay. At least that's my interpretation based on the scattering, the haziness that we talked about earlier.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
4: So I'm going to go to the. I'm going to start you off actually. I'm going to go to the eye and I'm going to go to the left side eye. And we, we can see in the original image there's um, loads of details on that eye. But what captivated me it wasn't just the, the circle it's the lines underneath the eye so if you look at a, a human eye particularly someone who's a little bit tired you'll you'll see the um longitudinal curves underneath underneath the lid mm-hmm. and they're factored in onto this structure you know there's so many features on here that match exactly what you would see in, a, in an anatomical real being because it's two. That I like, they shouldn't be there but they're they're in, in they're in the precise locations of where they should be on a normal face. So that was the main feature that, that jumped out on me um and and was, was the giveaway it would go on to the cat and I thought I think that we're seeing some kind of a, a, a triangular image within the cat's eye as well. I just love the whole symmetry of this of this this feature. Richard, um, from from how you know, you've got the defining lines around the outside edge, through to anatomy that's jumping out on the inside. I'll pass it over to the team. I think mean, you know through to this this image.
1: Well, if I may, uh, Bragero, uh drawings sure. are great, by the way.
4: Oh, thanks, Thanks very much. And
0: yet, you guys have two totally, totally different styles, but yeah. you see the same thing, which again, yeah. independent confirmation. Go ahead.
1: Well, and and I think that um, I, I've never quite heard it. Well, actually, Cynthia did say that. Um, I think in your forward to your book, that and Rogero's right is that it's not even our hand. We're just kind of etching out what was already kind of in the you know, the, like if if we're the acid bringing out the the areas so that the the, the you know the the, the the risers come up so we can see the image. We don't have to use much acid to bring it out. It's there already, like, like Rosero said. And his comment about the eye, and basically, I call it bags under the eyes. That's <laughs> uh, the <too> one. <long. laughs> yeah, but not only that, Ruggiero, but the rim under the eye is picking up on light exactly the way our eyes do. And 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 a cat, if you look at someone and the light shining down catches that little lower rim of your eye, your lower eyelid. It's 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 perfect. You you you. Again, this is not, and we've seen this before on Mars. These, you know, in, in smaller structures, like smaller sculptures.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: In fact, Richard, the the cover for the book, we have um, osmon, os, os-, 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 os- now, King Osmondi. How do I say his name?
0: Osmondius,
1: Osmandius, yes, exactly. Osmondius. There you go. Let's get all the versions. But again, in that, if you go to that image. Lower eyelid has that little light rim, and it's something you learn very early in art school to pick up on if you're doing portraits of human beings. Ah,
0: well, That's the, true the amount of detail you know is so overwhelming now that NASA to keep claiming it's a trick of light and shadow, we just have to politically force the agency to come clean. They kind of made it easy. Because there's now an official office of artifacts as part of their Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena uh, project they've taken on, a la the Pentagon. So tomorrow night, I'm going to talk with Alfred Weber, who turns out to be, among other things, an international lawyer. I'm going to ask him about bringing a formal uh, uh, civil action suit against NASA in this year to force them legally. All the way up, if necessary, to the damn Supreme Court to tell us the truth.
1: Mm -hmm. Richard, may I add something quick? And I know – I I thought Robert was going to bring this on the show. But there was – and I think Ron brought this up this week, and I don't want to sideline this because I know you want to get to a few more things. This this can be quick. The Mars um, Perseverance, I think it was – Ron, correct me if I'm wrong – put out this image from one of the images, like one of their souls – And it looks like a frickin', like, well, um, Robert described it as a keyboard or even a city, because if you look really close, but it's it's basically a terrible graphic. Somebody plunked in the middle of this image and said, oh, look at that. And 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 it's like... There's a whole bunch of
0: noise in the background. Somebody shut off your mic, please. Thank you. Go ahead, then.
1: Well, we don't have the image up. We probably should put it up under Robert's items, but... Robert, do you want to just do a little chat about that real quick? Because I know we don't have it up there. Well,
7: I think Ron brought it up and I looked at it and it looked like um, something really technical floating over the surface of Mars. And when I enlarged it and enhanced it, uh, great effort has been put in to make it look like a three-dimensional object with an edge. Now, when I look into it, Mm -hmm. my intuition as a pilot I looked at it as a picture, and it looked at me like the buildings of New York City mm-hmm. in the perspective when you're flying at about 800 feet above New York City along the Hudson River. You see layers of the city. It's it's uh, it's still below you, but you see block after block. So that was one thing. Another uh, others uh, have noted that it looked like a circuit board, and I was intrigued by the number of dots in the uh, the series. You and I were counting last night. We found several series of 13 dots in a row. So I was saying uh, on an intuitive level there, we're getting a message from somebody, whether it's artificial intelligence or organic intelligence, somebody put it out there to draw our attention. But most people will not go into it and enlarge it to the degree that I did. Yeah, and we have to An- put
0: that up in your section when we get off. Robert. Okay, Andrew
7: then took filters and he did some spectacular stuff with oil filter and solarization. And it definitely looks like artwork, modern art. So what is the message that, uh, yeah, that's the picture right there. That's uh, the the long shot, but you don't get the details. Uh, until you've enlarged it and improved it, so yeah, I would hope that those pictures go up on on the web page. I'll send them in to uh, Keith or Cynthia. Okay, this is it's a perfect, perfect segue because I think Andrew,
0: you commented when this came out as as <clears throat> one of the Mars pictures a couple of days ago. It's mm-hmm. obviously an intrusive object. It's not on Mars. It was no. deliberately placed in the image, but mm-hmm. it was placed there with a shadow. That's so what it's with, So out. it gives you the illusion. It's a real object floating above uh, a high noon sun uh, close up of, of Mars from Perseverance. It's all part of the hidden messaging, I believe. It's it's it Emily Dickinson. Be. Sorry guys, it's Emily Dickinson. Wrong. Ah! He he really doesn't like her. Anyway, the point no, is, it, it's it it, it is it, part of this unveiling park. process, which we're we're basically in an avalanche rolling downhill at 60 miles an hour. For disclosure, and the question is which is going to come first? Real ETs, real spacecraft or real ruins on NASA data that they've been accumulating for decades? I do not know the answer. I know I'm going to push on the ruins because ruins stand still. Would you believe an alien if he appeared on television and said so-and-so? Of course not. We don't believe anything anymore. I will believe ruins if we find the libraries. Anyway. Item number 13 in my section. Uh, Several months ago, we discovered that in the moon rocks, when you thin section them, meaning you slice them very fine, put them under a microscope, look at them with polarized light, there are all kinds of miniature machines embedded in the Brescia moon rocks, the almost 1,000 pounds that the astronauts brought back from the moon during Apollo. That led me to look at the Bennu artifacts which were returned to Utah uh, a few months ago. And there is a story uh, which is basically linked. Somebody's making noise. Close your mic, please. Somebody's making massive noise. Item number 14 is a close-up of the artifact from Bennu, which was put on display within two or three months at the Smithsonian. They can't get into the inner canister, but they got into the outer shell And there's a whole bunch of stuff from Bennu caught up in the outer shell. So they've been divvying this out now, sending it around the world. And Andrew did a sketch of the artifact displayed at the Smithsonian. The image and the link next, or the the caption next to it, linked directly to the Smithsonian description of their display. Uh, It looks like a miniature compilation of some kind of micro gearing and machinery and it's on a little artifact a little snippet of material from Bennu which is like three tenths of an inch across which leads me to number 15. This is a full-scale image of a moon rock that President Biden requested probably it was one of his staff when he moved into the Oval Office on uh, January 20th of 2021. Uh, This was a NASA loan. Uh, I'm calling it the president's artifact, because if you look at number 16, which is a closer image, it looks like another octahedral spaceship like Bennu and Ryugu and Stein's way up in my items, except this one can sit on the bookshelf in the Oval Office just a few feet away from the Resolute desk. And I think the president asked for it or his staff did because it's going to become the cornerstone of the president revealing in this election year most, if not all, of what we have been talking about in our hyperdimensional NASA Christmas show tonight. Thoughts, gentlemen?
4: Well, Richard, um, I'll just, we've only got a few, minutes, well, 12 minutes left, so I thought I'd just jump straight in. And um, if you didn't see it, I did a sketch on my item number five. Yep. And mm-hmm. um, when, if you go on to my item four or your item on the screen, your last item, 16. Yep. Um, and you zoom in, um, there's a little bit of, or, or my image anyway, there was a little bit of, uh, what was that term you put on an email to me? Um, JPEG-ing. Mm-hmm. You have to get through the JPEG-ing. Yeah, they're, they're basically then,
0: called compression artifacts, and you can clearly separate them if you know what you're doing from real structure.
4: Yeah, yeah. So when I first looked at it, I was like, you "No, know, there's jpeg Then I relaxed my eye more, <laughs> and then um, what started to jump out at me was, except everyone clips on my item number five, is there's lots of these uh, intricate lines almost like a melted metal feeling, and in the upper half you'll see dots and dashes um with little sort of peaks mountain pyramidy bits um it's quite an amazing rock where you just look deeper in, into what's going on it it, it looks artificial
2: <laughs> it's kind surprise, of a, it looks like kind of
4: i, I really do not want to be saying this on air, which is, I was like, oh no, this is jpeg The more I drew it, yeah. the more it looks like what you've been talking about.
0: Okay, now Ron yeah. went and found, as part of our discussion, mm-hmm. another mm. image, we believe of the same object, the Apollo 17 sample loaned right. to the White House. Ron, you want to talk about it?
6: Yeah, it's a bigger piece of it. And this was that before it was trimmed, the piece was trimmed off, it ended up in the White House uh but this, according to the sample numbers it's the same one and it was on view in berlin and apparently they had a much friendlier photo friendlier environment for people to take pictures of it because it was you know it was i don't it wasn't a lab picture it was just a picture of it and uh so it's a different part of the same piece and richard do they put webbing around something that's on display in a museum no, just to like hold it together. No, I didn't no, no, think no. So. no. Yes. Yeah, so anyone is free. <laughs> Please go ahead and take a look at that. And uh, it's bigger. And of course, you can make it bigger by tapping this on the screen. And yeah, that's what you see in most of those. So they they are looking for something. And I think they You could recognize once you know that there's a lot of little possibilities of nuts and bolts and God knows what. Uh, On something that you see lying on the moon or someplace, you could say, "Yeah, let's take a piece of that one." And in fact, it's uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it looks almost like a a miniature skyscraper or or something. There's so much regularity
0: to it. So
7: Um, it looks, it looks like the Rosetta Stone, the top part of it. it? Yeah, it does. I mean, the sedimentation and it's kind of flat. It does remind – I have a copy of the Rosetta Stone in my house, and it's really uh, something that I cherish. So – Well, all right, uh, we
0: we don't have a lot of time, so let me get to the the nubbin here. How do we force this into public discussion and revelation as part of the 2024 disclosure year? Let me give you some ideas. I do not think it's an accident that the President of the United States requested – A sample, a moon rock from NASA for the beginning of his administration, which would continue through the end of 2024, unless he was planning to use it. I have looked high and low. I cannot find any evidence that Biden has been excessively interested in NASA, in space science, in planetology, in moon rocks. In in other words, He's just a politician who's very focused on economics and the usual political things and obviously wants to be reelected. But why would he have gone out of his way or, again, his staff acting under his orders to get this object to sit in the Oval Office in this incredible seminal year where UFOs are becoming common knowledge, discussion by the Pentagon and briefings of congressional committees is now suddenly mainstream, and NASA is giving us increasing, overwhelming evidence. Look at the face on Mars from MRO of everything we've been saying for the last 30, 40, 45 years. I think there is a plan, and I want to help it along, which means we need, with the help of this audience, to get someone in the White House briefing room to ask them what is the president doing with an ET artifact in the Oval Office?
6: Maybe they could just say moon rock and it would have the same effect.
0: No, you got to name it oh. for everybody who is not following what we're doing.
6: Well, if they're not following, how are they going to know to look for the mechanical parts?
0: Because our... Correspondent going to amplify in his question what it is. Now I've Fair tried enough. to get I've tried to get Stephen to take on the role. He claims he's not a journalist, so we're working between us on finding the right journalist. I have someone else in mind. I'm going to spend some time briefing him. He used to be the head science guy at one of the major networks. He's got all his connections, his Rolodex, etc. If he doesn't want to do it, he can designate someone else he knows. But before this year is out, this president is going to get the question, what the heck is that thing doing by your desk? And we'll see if they're waiting for someone to ask the question.
7: Get the black guy to do it. Simon Echeba. He has he has a nice relationship with Karina uh, Jean Pierre. Okay. Atiba. She, uh, okay.
0: All right. You will send me the list. Everybody, send me a list, okay? And I will obviously do my own research. Okay. We got five minutes. Well, four minutes left. Who wants to try to sum up what we talked about tonight? Ah. Uh. <laughs> 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 hey, um.
7: Sum up, uh, I would like me. to do that. I would, don't mind. Go ahead. Yeah. I think we're on the threshold of great and greater discoveries. Someone at NASA has uh, you know, opened up the valve, AI or organic intelligence, they want us to do the job. They are constricted by legislation, non-disclosure agreements, all, all kinds of things. So they are uh, just letting the cat out of the bag and would Whoever of us catches the cat can show it publicly. So I plan to do a series of articles on, uh, on the Morningstar Report at RobertMorningstar.substack.com. And um, I'd like to welcome everyone uh, to a very happy new year. I think it's going to be a fantastic year, the year of the wood dragon. It's not going to be as wild as uh, any of the others. It's a little more steady, but steady. So I think that we are opening up new avenues of like exploration and discovery. And I congratulate you all. Uh, Ruggiero, your your sketches are fantastic. They're really great. And, of course, Andrew Curry and I have a mutual admiration society. <laughs> and I encourage everyone to uh, keep listening to the show for the rest of the year. It's really been a, a great opener.
0: Ruggiero?
4: Yeah. What do you want to say? I, I, well, I think Roberts summed it up perfectly. That you know, it's, it seems like um, the agencies are letting the public or giving the, the data out to let the public do the work. Um, you know, my summary of, of what we're seeing back to the face image it, is: it should have got worse, instead it got a thousand times better. <laughs> and we need to keep our we need to keep our eyes out and keep having a look. I, I look I'm really looking forward to see what else comes up that you know, who can draw it and sketch it and make comments.
0: Super. Ron. Yeah.
4: Mars. I want to do Mars
2: stuff.
0: Well, we need a little well, I, help. I, as soon, uh, as soon as Musk succeeds with his new starship, which is going to be the next launch, probably in the next two weeks, the attitude hmm. of going to Mars, his idea, colonization, 100 people, beginning, it's going to take a totally different perspective, because suddenly it will not be airy-fairy speculation, it will be engineeringly possible, and that will change things politically, so more Mars attention will become de rigueur. Finally, Andrew.
1: Yeah, well, I, first of all, would like to know what the Pope wants to bless in Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> but being funny, listen, I for all of the stretching out that we do in Georgia, said before, there's a lot of muck down on Earth, and we have to be careful because, Robert, this is a story you shared recently. I know we don't have time to get into it, but it was a report about giant, dark aliens walking through a mall and causing a ruckus in Miami, and all this stuff started coming out. And there's no confirmation of anything, but these memes get out there, which muddle up investigations and serious you know, uh, um, um, it, it, efforts by us. As they are to, meant to. They're distractions.
0: Yeah. It's called, you know, fear porn, extraterrestrial fear porn. Hey, guys, I want to thank everyone. My guests tonight, uh, Rogero Calo, Andrew Curry, Robert Morningstar, and Ron Gerbrunn. Brilliant evening, brilliant analysis, brilliant speculations. And the good news, folks, is we actually can someday, not very far from now, if we all put the pedal to the metal, we can know. So until tomorrow night, same time, same bath channel. Remember, third star on the left, straight on till morning. Good night, everyone.